see. Oh, uh, here's another one. Blog Talk Radio. After the hour, and welcome to another edition of BAMS Radio. This is Kerry Clark, one of your co-hosts. I'm with BamaMag.com. I'm joined, as always, by Drew DeArmond of AlabamaIntel.com, and back in the studio, manning the controls, Thomas Watts of Touchdown Alabama Magazine. And we finally have a game to talk about, as Alabama defeated West Virginia 33 to 23 in the Chick-fil-A kickoff game in the Georgia Dome, and this was the varsity game played on Saturday, not the JV that was played on Thursday between Ole Miss and Boise. This was the big boys. So, uh, Drew, welcome again to the show. Uh, give me some of your impressions off this opening game, W. Well, Kerry, you know, I was very proud of uh, the offensive execution. Uh, I thought Blake Simmons played a very, very fine football game for someone that has never started a football game and run the entire offense. Um, I was, you know, I had, I was apprehensive about it. I knew he would start. Uh, you thought Jake Coker would play, but I felt like with the way the game flowed and the way, you know, Blake played, there was one instance in the second quarter where, you know, he called a couple formations wrong and they were backed up and Coach Saban told, you know, Coker to warm up, but then Blake settled down, especially when they went to the no huddle, the speed ball offense of Kiffin and Coach Kiffin. And I thought he played very well. I mean, if you had told me going in, that he's going to go 24 for 33 for 250 yards, you know, with only one interception and only make three or four poor throws and then really have two or three drops where he should have thrown for 300 yards and a touchdown and led his team to 40-plus points, you know, you take that all day. Uh, I thought the kicking game was very, very good except for the one mistake on kickoff coverage, you know, which, you know, Jabril Washington missed the tackle there and then Kenyon Drake and uh, Derrick Henry and those guys got out of their lanes a little bit. Um, you know, that, that, and that's a little bit disturbing, but that's one mistake in that aspect. Adam Griffith, I tweeted during the game, should be SEC Special Teams Player of the Week. He was. He was spectacular uh, in the real game. And then, of course, J.K. Scott hit a bomb his first punt, very solid on his second. Uh, and then, so in two of the three phases, I thought they played really good football for a first game. Surprisingly, defensively, I thought it was very poor. Uh, I thought, you know, the secondary really struggled. The pass rush wasn't what, you know, you thought it might be. Linebackers were confused and inexperienced. Even though I thought Reggie Ragland played pretty solid, but the rest of them, uh, especially Reuben Foster, was just lost out there. And, and then the thing that, you know, surprised me, Kerry, 
was the lack of physicality on the defensive side of the ball. I felt like they were physical on the offensive line and wore West Virginia down, but I just felt like defensively uh, that it was a very poor performance for a Coach Saban-led unit. Well, <laughs> unit. Well, you know, uh, they only gave up 28 yards rushing. That was a plus, but they allowed what I consider to be a pedestrian quarterback to throw for 365 yards. Hence, since the game, uh, we have seen massive changes in the secondary, some facilitated by the injury to Jarek Williams, others facilitated by the ineffectiveness of Bradley Sylvie. Yeah, and still just uh, – and that was another surprising thing. I kept thinking – I had heard and everybody had heard that he had – he was very solid in the spring and in the fall, and you felt like he was in a – despite what Coach Saban had said about Cyrus Jones, that he was the more solid of the two corners. But, you know, Cyrus played well after getting off to a little bit of a bumpy start in the first quarter, made some plays on the ball, tackled well. Still just, you know, he, he just kind of, I think, went into a funk early. They completed a few passes on him. Now, the touchdown pass he had was a very fine throw. Uh, he was right there, but there was two or three occasions he didn't turn his head, as Coach Saban had said. He's a coach to turn his head and play the ball. He did not. I think basically he just became timid and was just a, and just went into a, a spiral and then just couldn't get out of it. And I was sort of surprised he stayed in the game. But, again, you know, the second half they did play better defensively. Uh, they, they started out not playing the run very well, but they slowed it down in the second half enough and then made some plays on the ball. We'll see how good trick it is. I, think, I do think 11 is a very fine receiver, a big guy who can run. I think he'll have a good year at West Virginia. Russell Shell is a fine back, Kerry. Uh, we recruited him for a reason, uh, would have taken his commitment. I think he'll have a good year at West Virginia. I think they're a seven-win team probably. I do not – I totally disagree with some of the, the stuff that I've heard about them being a three-win team or a four-win team or stuff like that. I think they're improved. I think they'll be a seven-win – a bowl team. Uh, by, by any stretch, I don't think they're going to win the Big 12. But I think they're going to be a solid team, and I think Holgerson's a good offensive mind. Uh, Triggett had a nice game. They started to affect him in the second half a little bit, especially when they put John Allen outside. He was a little, he was on the inside of the D line early and was getting manhandled the first quarter. But they moved him back outside, and he became a bigger factor as the game went on. I was a little surprised that DJ Petway didn't flash more. Uh, didn't really see much out of him until late. Got a couple of pressures. But, again, I, they just got a lot of issues on defense to work through. I think most of it is inexperience. I mean, Nick Perry was having to tell, you know, Reuben Foster where to go. Reuben was just lost. And that just goes to show you how good a football player C.J. Mosley was a year ago. And that Trey DePriest is not a dynamic linebacker, but they need him back just simply because of his leadership and knowledge. Getting back to Nick Perry, a uh, favorite player of your friend Brian, and uh, – Overall, he had four tackles, one for a loss of two yards. Uh, He had one time when Saban kind of jumped on him for lack of communication. Uh, It was a situation where the secondary was running one thing and the front seven was running something else. Right. And it it could have been hazardous. Uh, Nick didn't play a great game, but I also didn't think he was terrible. He was just kind of a little above average. Uh, He is what he is. I agree with that. and. He's a guy, he's not going to make a lot of plays on the ball, carry, but he'll be in the right place, and he'll be a solid guy. Uh, you, and, you, and now with Geno Smith, Geno will be back in the lineup full-time at Jerry Williams' spot in, at the star position. And I think he can even be a bigger playmaker than Jerry. Jerry is another solid guy, but has not made a bunch of plays on the ball, interceptions and stuff like that. I think, you know, Geno Smith has ball skills. He has the talent to do, to do that and make some plays. Uh, I think he can be a very good player. 
I think it could be to Alabama's advantage. Hate it for Jarrett, but I think it could be, and especially if you continue to work Maurice Smith in as well. But the bottom line is they've got to start working in these young guys, Kerry. You recruit these guys. You tell them, you know, you sell them on the getting developed for the NFL. Coach Saban talked about resetting the program. Well, part of resetting the program is getting some new blood in there, especially in the secondary. They need to get Tony Brown, Marlon Humphrey, uh, Maurice Smith. These guys need to start playing and need to get their feet wet because they're going to need them against the Florida Gators because bottom line is, Silva will probably get an opportunity to play some more, but probably maybe not as a starter because I think Eddie Jackson return is going to be huge. He's the best corner on the team. Hopefully Cyrus Jones can continue to get better because it's going to help him a lot to have more talent to work the young talent in at corner because basically they need to have some blood back there, some more, some better athletes and some guys that can make plays that are instinctive. I'm, I'm, I'm the after what I saw, you have to go by what you see with your eyes, Kerry, and it. And Bradley Seal just lacks ball skill. He just can't make plays on the ball. And so we're just going to they, – they need to have guys like Tony Brown, who I thought made plays throughout the spring, even though he's an inexperienced player. And uh, you need guys like him and Marlon Humphrey, who are elite athletes, to start getting on the field and Geno Smith to make plays. We would like to invite uh, our callers to call in live, our listeners to call us, because this first hour is going to be very caller-friendly. The second hour we've got a lot of guests. But please call and give us your opinions of the game and ask any questions that you have for us of what's transpired during or since the game. The call-in number for our BAMS Radio Live listeners is 714-510-3707. Again, the number is 714-510-3707. We'd love to hear from you because we're not the only two people that have an opinion of this game. Getting back to what you were saying about the secondary, Drew, I don't think the coaches are quite confident that Marlin is ready to play yet because he didn't go through spring. Uh, I know they are in Tony Brown, but we never really saw him except on special teams. Uh, Eddie, as you correctly pointed out, is going to play, maybe even start. He's been running with Cyrus at the one. Uh, I felt Cyrus showed more improvement from the last game of last year to the first game of this year just than just about any DB I've ever seen. He was a, a new man out there. In fact, if, if I were going to give a most improved award based on one game, I'd give it to Cyrus Jones and Adam Griffith. Yeah, I, I think Cyrus Jones played very well after the first quarter. I think he settled down, and then really toward the end of the first quarter, he started making some plays. He gave up some, you know, some a couple of catches, but he made tackles. And then, like I say, and, the, and I thought really, and people aren't making enough of this, Kerry. They're just they're they're too busy talking about three hundred and something yards passing and yada yada yada. The bottom line is they only let them score one touchdown. I know they're talking about they dropped the ball and that they, they well so did Alabama. Alabama had three or four drops. And the bottom line is is that they were they were good defensively in the red zone. They made them settle for field goals. One time they had a guy wide open on a bootleg and they made a poor throw. But heck, I mean Christian Jones dropped a fifty yard TD. Let's just get with it. I mean. You know, I've heard excuses and stuff like that. The ball hung up too long, yada, yada. It was a punt, for God's sake. How many punts has he caught? I mean, I'm not even sure he would have scored, but he damn sure should have caught. There was well, he would have been inside the, the 10. My he would have been inside the 10 first and goal with close to a 50-yard gain. And then there were other drops besides that. That was not the only drop. Yeah, uh, DeAndre White had a drop, and then Christian had another drop after that. <laughs> On a second and twelve, he, Christian Jones is—I've bragged on him for, and I've always loved him. But he played a piss poor football game. I mean, let's just be honest. He really only had one good play. Uh, yeah, he, he, he had a couple of mediocre well kickoff returns, mediocre for him. 
So yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, he, he he had a bad. He's you know he was not in any danger of being named to the offensive player of the week list. No, I mean, uh, and he was not named to it. But Cyrus Jones was named the defender, and Adam Griffith and J.K. Scott. You mentioned him earlier. That yeah. first punt, J.K. Scott. That that was phenomenal. That was a oh, boomer. It was awesome. It was. Uh, I, I mean, I, I don't know if people really realize how good J.K. Scott is. Saban asked a, a writer about a week ago. Uh, you know, have you seen the kick? Have you seen the guy kick? And that you know, we don't see much of that in the ten or fifteen minutes they're allowed to watch every day. But uh, you and I had seen him in, in the second scrimmage, and I had seen him on fan day. I knew what he was capable of. But it's it's one thing to do it in practice. It's another thing to get out there under the lights and do it. And, uh, you know, for an 18-year-old true freshman from Denver, Colorado, I, I just say, how much sticker to J.K. Scott? Yeah, I mean, I, I thought he was tremendous. Uh, I felt like, and, you know, and I think, you know, honestly, I, I, I agree with what I heard Trevor Maddox say today defensively. I think the talent is there for Alabama. I think they've just got to get more physical and they've got to play, you know, with a little bit more sense of urgency. And I think that will come when they get more confident. I think, you know, the return of Eddie Jackson, uh, the return of Trey DePriest, Will calm some of these some of the people down. I think as far as the and I'm talking about the personnel defensively. Uh, I felt like Reggie Ragland was still pretty solid. If you wanted to say if any of the inside linebackers played pretty well, I thought he did. Uh, I you know he he missed I think he missed a couple of assignments, but I, he was a lot he looked a lot more confident than Reuben did. And Reuben, I I saw in the stat report he made seven tackles. I didn't really see that. I knew he made a few, but he just to me he just seemed lost throughout and just didn't. Uh, and just wasn't confident in himself because he's more – he should be – the thing that bothered me was he's usually playing 110 miles an hour no matter what he's doing, and that's what you wanted him to do. And He just never really cut it loose Saturday. He, he looked hesitant. And, Except uh, for one play in the backfield. Yeah, he got it. He and laid he, the wood yeah. on a guy. And, and you're right, he was credited with seven, one for yeah. a loss of two. But that one for a loss of two, he laid the wood on. That being said, he had a he, – he had what I would term a piss-poor missed tackle uh, that, that really screen. hurt yeah. yeah, and Ruben's right there. He's in position. He just missed a tackle, and, and, and you can't do that. Him and Jarek both had missed tackles that led to points that I'm not convinced they would have gotten, to the point that the the bad throw by Trickett to the open fullback, it almost zeroed out because of yeah. the stuff we allowed them on missed tackles earlier and drop passes by us. Now, they had seven drops in the game, and I think we had three, none of which were really excusable. Right. Uh, I mean, you could say first game and all that, but it wasn't freshman dropping. It was guys that have played forever, fourth and fifth. Oh, you know, it's yeah. I, and you know, it's correctable though. It is correctable. Oh. Um, I, I think that I think a couple things. I think West Virginia was better than we thought they were, Correct. and I think the Alabama defense missed traded Priest more than we thought it would. Yeah, and again, I've and then I've heard from my my own partner William Redfish Barger that well, he's not a space linebacker, he's not C.J. Mosley, not, uh, and that's all that's all correct. But, but he knows the guy. defense. Yeah, he knows the defense. He's he's comfortable with everything they're doing. He's not a he's not an All American, but he's a very solid player that will help other guys. You know, get lined up, be more confident in what they're doing. Uh, he's been through the wars. You know, in the secondary, Landon Collins played a very fine game, physical. Uh, but he was one of the few that did. But Nick Perry was, as like you said, Nick Perry was solid. Cyrus Jones was okay. I mean, they're good. You know, he got he was much better as the game went on. Uh, they just need to they need to shore up Sill, and they need to you know, Jarek Williams is he missed tackles. He missed a tackle on the first play of the game. I mean, he he wasn't one of his better games. So now Geno Smith gets an opportunity. 
So hopefully a lot of these young guys are going to play with a sense of urgency and hunger because they want to get on the field and prove themselves. And hopefully uh, they will the next two weeks because these next two football teams, to to put it mildly, aren't very good. And Alabama needs to handle business and, and win each game impressively. I think they will. I think Blake will play well. He's going to have to continue to play well against everybody to keep the job because they're going to still give Coker an opportunity to finally play these next two weeks. But I just think Blake, I just don't think he's being given enough credit for how well he played, Kerry. I mean, I know he had some deficiencies. and He missed three or four throws. But as William Barger told me on the interception, and it's a great point, it was poor play design by Kiffin. He loved the game plan Kiffin had. He just said on this particular play, they should have run it from the opposite hash mark to give the receiver and the tight end more room. And then he said, also, uh, Amari Cooper ran a poor route. If he had he sold the route off. Runner, yeah, he broke his stole, route off. Yeah, the corner was able to right. get over in a double team. Exactly. If Amari had ran the right route, then OJ might have been open. Yeah, exactly. Because Amari would have would have sold the corner on his route, and the corner wouldn't have been able to peel off. And then you've got one on one coverage, you know, you know, and he might have been able to fit that ball into OJ. You never know. I mean, it was just or he might just, have outfought the DB for the ball. But it was like, just outfought two people. Well, yeah, I mean, oh, yeah, it, I, I, that's just as much on Amari as it is on Kiffin or Blake or anybody else. Yeah, exactly. So it, it was a poor decision by Blake, but as you said, it's it's also on Kiffin, also on Amari. So you can't get too irritated at that. And again, he made a couple of poor throws early on third down, but I, I think that to me the biggest uh, play of the game, Kerry, was the third down and eleven when you're backed up in the end zone, he throws a strike to Amari over the middle. And, that was huge. And I mean, and, and what I'm getting sick and tired of hearing is how we're so limited with him at quarterback. Limited in what way? What did the we run ball. that was any different? The deep did? ball is what they're talking I about. Mean, well, I mean, I know it's what they're talking about with the deep ball. But not slamming around and throwing to a guy look, at the look, look, man. Real deep ball. I know, but I'm just saying. The deep ball he threw, to, well, he went through all his progressions to, to uh, Christian Jones should have been caught. It was dropped. And then he well, drew a pass a interference to Amari Cooper. But I'm just saying he went through his progressions. And then, and then the bottom line is, is that uh, they didn't take maybe as many shots as they do with A.J. McCarron, but he did a good job. He threw slants. He threw crossing routes. And he missed on some of them, but he hit some really big throws, and he had three drops. So, I mean, I still thought that he was very accurate for the most part, much more accurate than I was afraid. You know, you're going in, you're, you're a little bit nervous about how, how accurate will he be. I thought for the most part he was very accurate. For, and he picked his spots as a runner. He still ran for 40 yards, and none of them were designed runs. And I think another, that's another thing Alabama fans are totally missing the boat on. They only ran the read option once, Kerry, and they ran it to Derrick Henry. He gained about seven yards. They didn't try to run it again. And then they didn't run the zone read at all, and if you run that a couple times successfully, you can play action off of it. You can bring up the safeties and the linebackers. There's a lot of things they didn't do, and they didn't call a quarterback draw. They didn't really use his mobility except for on bootleg. So they didn't show everything they can show. And, they, and, he, and he was still an effective runner. And I thought he chose his spots effectively. Matter of fact, I thought he could have run a couple other times when he tried to, to, to go through his progressions and make throws. And a couple of those weren't successful. And I but think again, a couple of those could have been first downs. I agree. Right. I agree. Sometimes and they it, try too hard not to run. Right. And then, and I thought, to be honest, I thought his two-minute drill was great near the end of the half. Well, it was. First half, yeah, absolutely. I he mean, did a you great know, job on that drive. I mean, here, and here's the best thing I thought William came up with after the fact is, and we put it in our report, his report after the game, is if you go and look at the stats under Saban QBs, he had the best game of any of them that's ever under Dick Saban so far. And yet, yeah, I've heard so many people saying, 
Well, I mean, they've got to go to Coker because they'll never win a championship. I mean, well, that's it's hard to say. I mean, uh, you know, an SEC defense, it might be different. I don't know that. I've right. seen all his projections that, you know, based on what we saw Saturday, he, he'd throw for um, for 3,000 yards. Well, based on what we saw Saturday, he'd have zero touchdowns and 13 interceptions. So you can't base it on one game. You can't base it on one game. But here's the thing, though, Kerry. You you know, I, and, I'm, and I'm not saying we're going to have – but we have the, the talent to have a really good offense. We had a guy – we won an SEC championship with somebody that couldn't throw the ball 20 yards in Marcus? 1989. Oh, okay. So, okay. I mean, and we won 10 games that year. And I'm just saying there's a lot of talent on this team. And I, he's going to oh, have to continue to, to uh, execute and execute at a high level. But I think based on what I saw, you have to go by what you saw. And what I basically – what I and I, I'm the first to say, I, I thought after A-Day – when I saw Blake in the spring, he was good in the scrimmage I saw. him. William saw us the first scrimmage. He was good. We, then we see A-Day. He did not play well. And so I was like, that's the last thing I saw. And I was like, well, with the people in the stands, he didn't play well. I still think it's going to be Coker. And then Coker came in. He had a very good week of practice before the second scrimmage. Everybody said he's going to make his move. He looked spectacular. Then he got out there in the scrimmage. And that's, all, that's the last thing you and I saw. And you have to be honest with what you see. He did not play well. No. And so – and so the bottom line is Blake outplayed him by a little bit, and then Blake went out in the first game and played well. And you have to give – and so basically Blake is going to have to play poorly. And that can happen. But he's going to have to play poorly to lose the job. He has earned the job for now. And, yeah, so, for everybody, now, yes. Yes. and, so, and so everybody has to just understand that and understand that Alabama can still win games with him with who they play. I, I just disagree with all this stuff. They're going to be so limited. We don't know yet. I don't think Blake has got a superhuman arm to carry, but I think it's good enough. And, I mean, it's just going to have to – it's just going to depend on how they execute as a team. But I think with, with the plan they could put together, they could be dangerous. I think more – and nobody ever would have thought this, including myself, but I, who would have ever thought there would be more questions defensively than offensively after the first week? Well, and it's not Saban's mantra other than one year at LSU when Marcus Randall and Jamarcus Russell were together. It's not his mantra to play two quarterbacks for an entire season. Uh, But it's not the end of the world if you've got two guys that can help you win in two ways. So I I think Jacob Coker will earn a letter this year. And I I think eventually he may even be the starter. But as we've said all along, even if he gets to be the starter, say Ole Miss game, I think we're still going to see one or two series a half with Blake. I think Blake's going to be a factor in every game this year. Well, he very, very well be, and he's going to have to, like I said, and it happened with John David Phillips against a much better opponent. He played well against BYU, then did not play well and lost the job. But it's going to have to, you know, he's going to have to play poorly to lose the job. And that could even happen next week, but I don't think it will. I think he will play well. I think he will throw the football well. And I think, to be honest, I think it's a credit to Lane Kiffin how much he's improved. That and the work Blake's put in. I don't think – you talk about how much Cyrus Jones has improved, Gary. How much has Blake improved? I think he's improved a lot. Now, in my, in my, I mean, and I'm saying all this. I, I'm not saying he's ever going to play quarterback in the NFL. I'm not saying he's going to be all SEC. But all I'm saying is he can be a very solid quarterback with what Alabama wants to do with his talent level. I don't think he's some scrub that can't play. And I, that's basically – I. No, he I, showed that Saturday. He showed that. He, no, he's not a scrub. I mean, no, he can hurt like, you in certain ways, and he showed that Saturday. I mean, when you when you when you have when you set records at Alabama for a first time starter with completions and uh, and attempts, and you have people saying, "Well, 
Coker should start the next game. It's about the most ignorant thing I've ever heard. No, that's stupid to say that based on that. No, that's not. No, no, no. no, no we don't. We shouldn't say Coker should start until we have a lot more data. And uh, speaking of data, uh, the number to call in again is seven one four five one zero three seven zero seven to talk to us here at Bams Radio. We love to hear from our listeners. Uh, and uh, this is kind of a hint to Marty because uh, we are going to start back doing the participation chart. And I found a lot more people that played than the people that Dome did. Uh, yeah. But anyway, uh, and Alabama, to their credit, uh, corrected it when they put the release out Monday. Uh, who yeah. played, who didn't. Uh, the release that was put out by the Chick-fil-A folks uh, missed about three guys. But w- w- when and if Marty calls in, we'll do the participation chart. So, again, that number is 714-510-3707. Uh, love to hear from you all. Drew, uh, one area that you and I and the coaching staff, more importantly, uh, was looking for improvement in was the pass rush. Uh, right. Maybe we didn't see quite as much as we'd like, but we did see three sacks. Yes, we did. And, uh, all two I've by heard, one man. Yes, Xavier Dixon, he had two. He flashed a little bit. I still think he and uh, Denzel Duvall need to, need to be rotating at Jack because I think – both of them are – when we play these spread teams, they're better utilized as, as undersized defensive ends. They can come off the edge and rush the passer. Uh, I know Denzel played a lot of, you know, Sam. I don't think he's very good out in space. I think they need to get maybe Dylan Lee out there. Uh, need to start working in Rayshon Evans. You know, I know that he may make a few mistakes, but he's such a great athlete, Kerry. And if the pass rush continues to struggle – I know he's on the scout team, and he's probably still got a long way to go for the coaches, but they need to get Tim Williams back out there too. Talent, talent, talent. Well, I think Tim was about three weeks away, but I'll tell you, a guy that came off the scout team uh, was Rashawn Evans. and he, well, uh, that, you, the, the lick on the opening kickoff by him was phenomenal, but we also know he can rush a quarterback. Well, see, the, the media is making a mistake, Kerry, and I'm part of them. But they're making. They're, I've read today a million times he was in a scout team jersey all week last week. By Wednesday, he was not. Okay, really, I think even by Tuesday, he was. They, I just that's why I knew he was going to play. And then I, he didn't really play a lot defensively. But you're right; he made the first tackle of the season, and he was in on all the special teams. They need to start getting him in there as a pass rusher on third downs because they need more flash off the edge to help the DNs. And I'll say this, and everybody's as guilty of it as anybody, but I think DJ Petway realized how far he's got to go. And I right, will. We'll get back to that in a second. But for now, we have a caller. Uh, one of uh, several we expect to hear from from Gadsden tonight, King Crimson, here on BAMS Radio. What's going on, brother? Hey, guys. Roll Tide. How y'all doing? Roll Tide, man. Well, look, uh, I've been listening to you guys. I really uh, agree with uh, what you guys are saying as far as the quarterback. Uh, One, I could not imagine playing with that kind of pressure. I'm going to give him a couple passes, bad passes here and there, you know, but, I mean, you got to have nerve of steel to do what he pulled off, and I thought he did a good job. One thing that jumped out of me is how quickly he could get out of trouble. He could recognize the rush, roll the opposite direction. I mean, let one little skip one time. He, he avoided a, a, a sack and then turned it into a, a positive play. But I like his freelancing, and uh, maybe uh, I, I've always said the, the more experience the player gets, the game slows down a little bit, and I think that's what's going to happen for him. Uh, but I got a question for you guys. You guys are Alabama experts, football experts, and um, been thinking about this a lot. And I just want to get your thoughts on this. Do you feel like the template that Nick Saban uses to build his defenses 
that people have figured it out as far as building an offense for this, the running the no huddle, the, the hurry up. And is the defense geared toward a more of a pro-style type of situation? And, oh, by the way, though this team plays no huddle, so we got to – you know, make some adjustments. But do you think that template is is maybe needs to be updated, or there need to be some kind of a hybrid with faster, smaller players? Uh, I know you give up a lot on running when you do that, but you know, I'm just trying to figure out is Nick Saban being a little stubborn? Uh, I, you know, about I mean, staying with a certain style of player because you know that's what we won the championship with. That's what we won all of our championship with is power football, big guys. So, uh, I mean, everybody else is, I don't know. I mean, we've got to figure out how to stop this uh, because if, if we can, we got to score every play. But uh, I'll hang up and listen, guys. Enjoy the show. Thanks. Well, I, I'll take the first, first – I'll take my – I'll give my take about Kerry. But I think in a way some of it is Coach Saban being stubborn, but stubborn in the fact that I know – and I think it's mostly personnel-based – I think he needs to start playing younger guys, more talented players. I know he's tried to be loyal to some of the guys that have been in the program, but we need a talent infusion, especially speed. I think they're starting to go towards speedier guys as far as in the linebacker position. But the thing about it is sometimes you can't snap your fingers and make it happen. I mean, they've got Rashawn Evans, and they need to start playing him. Uh, Christian Miller may redshirt, but he's that kind of guy. They're going to they're gonna sign Keaton Anderson from Florence High School. They're going to probably redshirt Keith Holcomb, but he's another one that can run. They need to start also getting Dylan Lee on the field. I think, you know, the scheme, there needs to be some tweaks with the scheme, but it's mostly personnel-based. I think if they, you know, because, I mean, if these, these teams like Florida ran a spread attack. Everybody said it was unstoppable, and Coach Saban figured that out. Now, it wasn't really no huddle at times. But, again, I think mostly what they need to do is they need to figure out, they need to get, you know, a different kind of player, a different kind of uh, – a little bit faster in the front seven and on the edges, a little bit better athlete than they've been getting because so much in the last two years of teams are going away from the pro-style offense and going to the hurry-up, no huddle. And I just think really it's going to be a, a situation where you have to recruit a different kind of an athlete and, uh, and, and, and put them in a, and put them out there as far as a playmaker on the defensive side of the ball. And I'll let Kerry, you know, give his take. Yeah, Ken Crimson, uh, the way you notice the way that Alabama's adjusting to the no huddle uh, or the hurry up is who they play at nose guard that particular game. The reason you didn't see Darren Lake at all and the reason you just barely saw Brandon Ivory Saturday is because Sean Williams and Jaron Reed spent the majority of the time at nose guard on various downs and distances. They are they are defensive ends by trade, but they are moved inside because, A, they're big enough, and, two, they're mobile enough to play against the spread. They don't need a break. They don't get as tired. They're not as slow. They're more what Saban calls uh, quick, t- quick twitch or fast twitch muscle-type guys. And when you can play somebody as athletic and as coordinated as Ashawn or Jerron, uh, Jaron Reed, at nose and not play the big Hulk-looking guy like Darren Lake or Brandon Ivory or um, – or, you know, even some people they're recruiting right now that don't fit the no huddle motif. Everybody we play don't run the no huddle. When you play somebody like uh, LSU, for example, uh, that likes to run the ball, or in most cases Tennessee, you have to have a big old boy on the nose. But uh, you see more athleticism overall in the recruiting. There's still a couple of plotters that they're signing up. 
but they're also signing coordinated, uh, quicker, more flexible nose guards like Josh Frazier. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, for the most part, they have changed the way they recruit. Saban's talked about it, hinted about it a little bit. Uh, you know, they're not they're not signing every defensive lineman over 300 pounds, for example. They're, they're signing quicker people that can stay on the field. And, and uh, yeah, I mean, they're, they're adjusting to it. Uh, they are. And so that's the name of that tune. But we have another caller on hold right now from uh, Greenville, Alabama. My friend and yours, Colin, Big C McGuire. Big C, what's going on, brother? Well, I thought he was on hold. Big C, you there? Huh. Oh, well. I, I'll work on that one second. Big C will be with us in a minute. Yeah. Big Well, and I think, Kerry, the thing that's frustrated me is there's no doubt that Alabama's had trouble with the hurry up, no huddle. But in the last, you know, couple, in, since last, the end of last season, but you and I have talked about this. The Auburn game is being overblown because, yes, they have up 296 yards rushing, but they held them to three TDs. If they had kept attacking offensively, they would have won it uncomfortably. Our defense didn't lose that game. And then Oklahoma, a lot of that had to do with uh, attitude and mindset. And then this game this past uh, week had a lot to do with inexperienced football players, guys that have never played. Uh, you know, I, I don't necessarily agree with some things I hear from other coaches a lot. But I thought Mark Rick uh, made a uh, on fine bomb Monday said something that was very apt. And I mean his teams have underachieved over time, even though he's had a good run at Georgia. But I would agree 100% with what he said after Clemson. He said, "You never know what you've got until you play a game." And he's talking about against somebody else. You know, you can practice and scrimmage and do all that kind of thing, but until the bullets are live and you're on TV, you don't ever know what you got. And, you know, then you, then you have to just basically adjust after that and do some coaching and, uh, and player developing. And that's always been Coach Saban's strength. And uh, I still think it's a little bit early to say, you know, I've, I've even have – I have someone uh, on my own uh, Alabama Intel site who wants Nick Saban uh, fired. He thinks the game has passed him by. And uh, that's based upon winning a game by 10 and then losing the last two games last year, including, you know, not finishing the job against Auburn. But that, to me, is ridiculous. Uh, I do think they need there's some things they need to change in recruiting, which they're trying to now. And I think there's some things schematically that they need to kind of tweak. And I, But I think they're going to do that. I don't think they're, they're definitely not satisfied. When Nick Saban says the defense is soft at halftime, that's all you need to know. He knows there's issues, and they're going to work through those right there. But I just think, to be honest, it's uh, there's a lot of panic that set in over a performance when it, when Alabama won the football game. They weren't necessarily very impressive, but they weren't very impressive in 2009 in uh, at times against Virginia Tech. But they won that game and went on. I'm not saying they're going to win the national championship this year, Kerry, but I think they're they've got talent to stay in the mix. And the thing about that was, I know he's paid now to be an analyst, but I heard Greg Mahalroy right after the game. They asked him, well, "How did you think Blake Sims played?" And he said, well, I thought he played okay. And the first thing out of my mouth was, well, he played better than you did in your first start. Yeah, but, I mean, it's not like he threw for four touchdowns and 400 yards. He played he played a little bit better than okay, but I wouldn't go so far as to say he played great. No, he didn't play he great. Played, he played, he played well. enough to get us back to Atlanta for New Year's Eve. He didn't play well enough to get us there for this championship. 
Well, he played. I mean, like I say, he played well, and that's all that you want. You want to see. And he got a he W. Could, he's one and zero. And that's he's one and zero. He could have thrown for three hundred yards if the execution had been a little bit better. Uh, some on his end, some on his receivers' end. But again, he played well. Played better than I think a lot of people thought he could. And and what you have to base it on, if he gets better from that point on, he's going to be a really good player. Now he may not. He may he may end up losing the job. But I think the potential is there for him to be a really good quarterback if he continues to get better because he showed some abilities that nobody had seen before. Uh, because basically he barely the only time he threw the football when he came in, you know, as a backup the last two years was to throw a screen pass. And so he was able to operate a two-minute drill, convert on third down for most of the football game, and to lead his team. The thing I liked about it, Kerry, was every time West Virginia scored, we answered. Yes. And uh, he did a good job of leading the team, and I thought he was poised. I mean, he got a little rattle with those play calls, but then he settled down. It was the first time he'd ever started a game. I thought his poise was really good throughout. Uh, Almost throughout. Not when you're in the huddle calling games for high school plays like Danny Woodson well, did for Blunt a few years ago when William played. But not when you're doing that. But but other than that, two, that's what I'm saying. Days, but he settled down. He did settle down, but it took going to the no huddle to settle him down. Well, he, he, and he that was played. smart on Kiffin's part and on Saban telling Good Kiffin coach. to do it. And and it and it went to prove that Saban's theory with a new quarterback of having uh, the offensive coordinator on the sidelines proved out to be the correct uh, move. Absolutely. And Blake Sims, you know, he did have a, a very good game. But, you know, he's got some real weapons at his disposal, Drew. I'm looking at the stats right now. Amari Cooper, 12 catches for 130. The mm-hmm. Andrew White, who's out for a couple of weeks, 6 for 73. And in the rushing game, TJ goes 23 for 132 and two touches. Derek Henry, the big man, goes 17 for 113 and a touchdown. And uh, it did get to the point in the game although it took a lot longer than we hoped. But it did get to the point, Drew, where Alabama started wearing WVU down. Oh, no doubt in the second half, especially when they were going to the no-huddle feeding Derrick Henry and, and then they continued to feed Yeldon. Yeah, they wore him down as the half went on. And I felt like by the end of the third quarter, they had him pretty well, uh, you know, worn out uh, physically. And the only thing offensively I was surprised at was, again, they, they didn't really get O.J. Howard involved. And, and some and, and I've also said, you know, a little bit surprised they didn't get Kenyon Drake more touches. But to be honest, as soon as Kenyon Drake basically was a huge contributor to the screw up on the kickoff return, I didn't really care that he didn't play offensively, because as usual, Kenyon Drake is so talented, Gary. But at the brain, the brain farts continue. I mean, he had a lot of he had a lot of friends that had brain farts on that kickoff return. It wasn't oh, well, he did, but, me and others. But what I'm saying but is, gotta make he, it right. But Kenyon is such a great athlete. He's one of probably the top three on the team. He, if he had stayed in his lane along with, I believe, King Henry, if he had stayed in his lane when uh, Jamari – and don't get me wrong, you know, Jabril Walker should have made the tackle. But if they stay in their lane, they can push him out of bounds and or make the hit. But they overran it and then had to try to chase him down. And then, to prove, it, to prove my point, I believe later in the football game, they even the next time he covered it, Kenyon was shot out of a cannon – ran down and then chased the returner down on the opposite end of the field from behind and made the hit. I mean, Kenyon Drake is a freak, but he just doesn't. He makes so many mental errors that it just drives you out of your mind. And so that's why I was like, well, he only got three touches as far as carries. Oh, well. He'll he'll be able to earn some touches as the season goes on, but I didn't really get angry that he didn't or upset that he didn't play that much offensively. He's got to do other things well, too. And I was more just surprised that O.J., 
didn't have at least three or four catches. But, I mean, but you, like you said, I mean, Amari Cooper is getting open all day. He catches 12 balls. Uh, DeAndre may have had a 100-yard game if he hadn't got injured. He already had 73. And uh, and then Christian Jones made a catch or two, but then had he could have had a big day if he hadn't had the dropsies. So I felt like the receivers, basically, as far as getting open, they did their job. Right. And we do have a couple of callers on hold now, so let's go ahead and take uh, Big C from Greenville. Colin McGuire, what's going on, man? Got him. Okay. You still there? Oh, are you back? Yeah, we're here. Yeah, I'm here. I'm back. I'm here. Good deal. We're here. Uh, I need to talk to him for a minute. I'm glad you said Kyle back, so here I am. Um Talking sport. I mean, talking Bama with Big C is a new program I've got. It's an internet program at www.jive.com, and our first show was on this past week. Uh, it was West Virginia game, and I interviewed Tommy Bowden. The angle was with that was he coached and played at West Virginia and coached at Alabama. And this week on Saturday. Florida Atlantic going to be on that www.jockjive.com. And uh, and I mean, my guest will be Coach Howard Snellenberger that coached at Alabama and then at Miami, Oklahoma, and then he was the one that started the program down at Florida Atlantic. Well, that's awesome. Good job. Uh, Big C, got any input on the game you'd like to share or questions you want to ask about the West Virginia Oh, game? well, yeah. Uh, yeah, I was listening, y'all. Now, let me ask y'all. Now, this is where, you know, everybody's talking about the uh, this no-huddle stuff. And, you know, we're talking about some of these linemen we got are so big and everything is slow or maybe slower versus that. But this is what I'm wondering. Okay, all right, let's go ahead and put a 280-pound or 75-pound lineman that can move. But, yeah, you go up against a team that likes to run the dang ball. What do you do then? And, I mean, you know, with this way how they – Really, this no huddle. You can't, you know, substitute unless the offense substitutes. So, say they go up against somebody's got a line that weighs over three hundred pounds plus per man, and all of a sudden you're getting killed. Them running the ball because your linemen are too much, are too small to go up against that bulk. So, what, what is the answer? Do y'all have any earthly idea? Yes, we do. Go ahead, Drew. Well, I, I think the bottom line is because if you look at most of these hurry up no huddles, it's, you know Auburn does run the football, but uh, I think most of them are pass centric. Uh, you know, but Auburn is like a little bit of a different case. They do like to to uh, run the football, and so I think uh, at times I, that's why I'm saying I really wasn't you know disturbed by Alabama's defensive plan last year. I, to be honest, I think they had a really solid plan, but I think a certain fool that's now on the Green Bay Packers uh, practice squad uh, made one play all day, could have made several others, but as to, to, uh, to earmark his final season in Crimson, he made one mental error after another, game after game after game, because he wanted to play his own game and not play within the scheme. And so I think a lot of it had to do last year with guys just not doing their job, at least against somebody like Auburn. Now, against these hurry-up, no-huddle teams like we saw with West Virginia, like you're going to see probably – I'm even thinking maybe with Florida. I don't know yet, though, uh, as far as with Kurt Roper. But, and then with Texas A&M, they're pass-centric, faster guys on the field that can go east-west. And you're going to have to kind of be multiple defensively. And I think that's what Coach Saban's realizing. That's what they're trying to recruit. Uh, but the thing about it is a lot of people want to say, well, you need to simplify the scheme. Well, I think Kerry can vouch for me here because he was in the press conference, uh, I guess, 
on Saturday, and if he wasn't there on Monday, then he heard it. But I believe Coach Saban said they had simplified the plan against West Virginia, but yet they continued to make mental errors when they came out because a lot of young guys hadn't played yet. And I can let Kerry talk about that. Well, they really missed the Priest. If the yeah. Priest had played Saturday and been able to get certain people lined up and get the calls for the front seven synced up with the calls from the back four or five, I don't think West Virginia would have had more than about one touchdown. But he wasn't able to play because he had an issue they had to deal with. He's now dealt with it. And uh, Trey DePriest is more than likely going to start this game this weekend. Well, let's – I mean, it all counts, but just say that uh, that kickoff return does not – they don't run it back for a touchdown. They don't get any kind of points on that possession. Then Alabama's defense in some ways, you know, we know with the short passing game, in some ways, you know, they gave up a total of 16 points. So, in that regard, that wasn't bad. I mean, it's not great, but, I mean, it wasn't bad. Uh, you know, BC, I think that's a good point. Uh and I do think they were solid on the, in the red zone. Uh, there's been a lot made of, you know, passes dropped and all that kind of thing. But like Kerry and I said, Alabama also dropped balls. I mean, I've, you know, I've had – I heard someone, on, again, on my own site say that, you know, Alabama got outplayed and should have lost the football game. I completely disagree with that. Uh, if they understand. had played – if they had played – if they had made a couple of more plays, they would have scored in the 40s. And West Virginia, mm-hmm. you can talk about a drop ball or two, but like I say, they were they were fortunate, and then they you know had that bad snap in the red zone. But again, they they had all kind of opportunities to cash in, and they did not. And so I I, I never really felt like Alabama got outplayed. If they had gotten outplayed, then they wouldn't have won the football game because they answered West Virginia every time they could. And Adam Griffith was a big part of that because they were able to Alabama. They didn't execute at times in the red area or in the inside the thirty offensively on a few possessions, but he was able to still get points out of it by just doing a great job kicking the football. Well, what do y'all think about the quarterback how he played the other day? I thought he was solid. I thought he played well. I mean, I didn't think you know I, I'm, I, I he didn't he he didn't play at an All America level, but he played. For a guy that's never started before and never run the two-minute drill and never, you know, uh, faced, a, you know, and, and, and basically run the entirety of the offense uh, it, from a standpoint of from the first snap, I thought he did a good job. I thought he helped win the game. I thought he was definitely one of the positives offensively. I didn't think they had many negatives except for the fact that O.J. Howard didn't really touch the football. And, it, you know, they, and they had a couple of two or three drops. Other than that, the offensive line didn't give up any sacks. And, again, Blake had to get away from pressure three or four times, but he did it, and he was very effective in doing so. And I thought the offensive line, as Kerry has already said, uh, established their dominance in the second half and wore down West Virginia. Uh, You know, you you really had to like how Yeldon ran the ball, no fumbles, uh, was very, very effective. Uh, Derrick Henry was very, very effective. And then another thing Kerry and I really hadn't talked about, and Kerry really hadn't mentioned this, they only ran maybe one screen to the backs the whole game. And so you got to understand that that will probably be a part of the plan as the season goes on as well. Yeah, there was a lot they weren't wanting to show. Now, Big C, we got another man on hold. I'm fixing to have to let you go. But I'm going to see if I can stump you with an Alabama trivia question before I let you go, Big C. Okay. You ready? Right. I'm ready. And you're probably going to get this, but I'm going to ask it anyway because this is a very interesting question here. Back in 1990, when Alabama snapped the losing streak against Auburn in the Iron Bowl, uh, led by quarterback Gary Holmes' work on offense. 
there was a point in the game when he got the wind knocked out of him. He had to come out of the game for a couple of plays. Oh, God. Some of the names were, I know, know he's walk-on quarterback. quarterback I'm trying to be talking about number four, if I remember right. Is this number right or wrong on that? I, I believe it's right. But I think that's right, but let me have his name. Oh, God, I think you got me on this one. And I was there that day, and I can't believe all of a sudden his, his name escapes my mind, but I know oh, who you're talking about. We use this as, as a trivia question for a lot of the places I speak at. Used it one time in Huntsville. Uh, used it in Atlanta a lot. Uh, it's a very, very tough question. I was just uh, just checking uh, to see if you remember. I remember right, he was walking on what, and he uh, carried Yeah, he was a walk-on. From uh, walk on from Lexington, Kentucky. That was the only year he lettered. I think he only played in one other game. But uh, yeah, I'm gonna go ahead and give you the answer. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go ahead and give you the answer because when you get to the next caller, the answer is Scott Etter, E T T E R. That's right. Mm-hmm. And on, on that note, I'm gonna have to let you go, Big C. But we hope you can call again uh, next week. And if you need me, call me Friday, and I'll come on your show Friday morning. All right, I'll call you Friday around ten after seven. Sounds good. And uh, hope. Thank uh, we'll you, sir. You Thank you. That's. Uh, Thank you, Big awesome, C. Big C. Thanks, man. Appreciate it, man. Now, we got another man on hold, too, another very loyal caller, a uh, man we always enjoy seeing at the tailgates and all from up around the uh, Quad Cities area into 256. Uh, hope he's still there. Bring the pain. You're on BAMS Radio. What's going on, fellas? How are y'all doing this fine night? Good. Bring the pain. Glad to hear from you again, man. Just as blessed as I am broke. What you got for us tonight? Hey, I was wondering, since uh, Blake Sands has done an okay job, is he the starting quarterback for the whole year now? Well, maybe not. I, that's not. That's going to be decided during the pain. I mean, he, he was very solid in his first start. He's going to have to continue. As I've, I've said to anybody, I've, you know, I've been on a lot of shows and, and, and talked to a lot of people, he's going to have to continue to do to perform. I mean, and but I think he knows that. Uh, I mean, the, the the separation between him and Jake Coker has never been big. Uh, and Jake will get a chance to play this past uh, this next Saturday. Uh, there was a lot, and I got to give Kerry credit for uh, telling for tweeting this. But there was a lot of people once they found out about the knee scope with Coker uh, talking about, well, he was injured, and that's why explains why he didn't play. No, he was healthy enough to play. I mean, he came in. He he he. he uh, played on the last series, and they had him warming up at one time. But the game never really – Alabama didn't really totally take control of the football game really the whole way, and Blake Sims continued to perform. Now, if he had continued like Kerry talked about with the issues with calling the plays wrong, and if he had not settled down when they went no huddle and, and not converted several of those third downs, you would have seen Jake Coker. I can assure you. You know, Blake Sims performed well enough, and the coaches felt like he did well. And he did, and he he led a victory, and he, he should be credited for that. But he's going to have to continue to perform in practice and in the games to hold off Jake Coker, who's a talented guy, but who also needs to come along mentally. But, again, Blake has earned his opportunity, but he's going to have to continue to perform to keep uh, the job. Okay. And the last caller was talking about the no total hurry up offense. Will we start doing that? Will we start? We did know, it a little bit Saturday, Daniel. We did it a little bit Saturday when Sims got got uh, got his head messed up in the second quarter. We we did we did it a couple times Saturday, a couple series. We're not going to yeah. do it for the whole game though, if that's what you're asking. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
Well, I can tell you how you can stop that hurry up, no offense. It's let them keep running it, and if they tear their ACL, MCL, then they will stop doing it because that's how you can get hurt, don't you think? Well, it's true that if you run more plays that you're uh, more liable to have an injury because football is a contact sport. Is that what you're getting at? Yeah. It's just like Auburn. All they do is run most of the time. And I'm like, well, if they get him hurt, they're going to regret it. Well, I think I think Alabama's pretty much to the point where they can stop it. Most of the success it had Saturday was because Alabama was missing tackles or the other team's receiver in a couple of cases just made a great catch. Uh, I, I don't I don't think the defense played all that all that bad Saturday against it. I mean, Jarek Williams misses a tackle and uh Ruben Foster misses a tackle and you know, Bradley Sylvie slipped one time on a screen and it, things like that can, can kinda add up. Yeah, I saw that. Uh, but anyway, guys, I will see y'all Saturday. All right, Daniel, All right, appreciate bro. it. Right, Thanks, man. man. Roll Tide, and uh, we do have another caller we're going to take in before we go to the break. We're going to break about three minutes still, but I'm going to go ahead and bring him on now because I know why he's calling. Marty from Gaston, you're on BAMS Radio. Hey, guys, great show tonight. I tell you what, uh, you know, I, I hit it right on the nail with uh, – South Carolina, you know, I thought they was overrated, and, you know, and nobody listened to me, you know, but we've we seen their true character come Saturday, or come Thursday night. Do you not agree? Yep, you had it right. You nailed it. Oh, yeah, it's, uh, they're, they're soft, and uh, they, they've, uh, they, 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 they have not replaced Davion Clowney. They have not replaced several of their defenders, uh, and they, you know, and, and, you know, it's typical, you know, Spurrier's a really a, a great coach, but, it's it's typical to Mother Eggs. He's laid before. I mean, they uh, they his teams can they call him the believer, but his teams can kind of tend to believe their own hype. They always kind of did at Florida. It's why they couldn't go undefeated in a year. They'd always lay an egg, you know, uh, at some point. And then South Carolina, let's be frank, he doesn't have as much talent as he did at Florida. They have talent. They've recruited well, but still, Texas A&M has done a good job. And nobody had seen Kenny Hill on tape. Uh, and then as a, as a good friend of this show, Rodney Orr, told me tonight, he just said they ambushed him. And they basically ambushed him. And before Florida knew it, or excuse me, South Carolina knew it, pardon me, uh, they had dug a hole they couldn't dig out of. I mean, they did hit a couple of deep balls to stay in it early. But they just were not prepared for what, you know, for the level of, you know, uh, the level of play of Kenny Hill. He came out. He played tremendous football, through for 500 yards. They'd never seen him before. And they just did not. They weren't. They weren't ready for that level of execution. And uh, it was just they just to coach someone's credit. I don't. I am. They're kind of overhyping Texas A&M's defense here, talking about oh they were physical, oh they were this. They gave up 400 some yards and near 30 points. I mean they they weren't great. They were improved, but they still weren't great. But uh, but again they 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 played on such a high level offensively that South Carolina didn't have much of a chance. And I just think. And I also think it just bears to show how good the East is compared, or excuse me, the West is compared to the East. I think the East is weak. I think it's going to be, I think you're going to see that as the year goes on. I think the West is, you know, is the best division in all of college football, and it's going to be a dogfight. 
Uh, I agree. Uh, Texas A&M needs to go to the east. Uh, We don't need any more teams in the west to have to contend with, that's for sure. (laughs) Marty, would you like to hear the uh, traditional participation chart? I would. Okay. I I have got it ready for you, my man. (laughs) I have got it ready. Alabama played uh, the following people. Now, now some of this, okay, I I caught some stuff that – that that the people at the game didn't catch, so I'll add those as we go here. But on offense, Alabama started Amari Cooper, Cam Robinson, Ari Quanjo, Ryan Kelly, Leon Brown, Austin Shepard, Brian Vogler, DeAndre White, Jostin Fowler, Blake Sims, and T.J. Yeldon. On defense, they started uh, Bradley Silve, Jonathan Allen, A. Sean Robinson, D.J. Petway, Cyrus Jones, Nick Perry. Denzel Duvall, Reuben Foster, Reggie Ragland, Landon College, and Jarrett Williams. The substitutes as given by the people that kept the book at the game were Chris Black, Tony Brown, Cole Mazza, Cameron Sims, Ryan Anderson, Adam Griffith, Deshaun Hand, Sean Dion Hamilton, Ardaria Stewart, Jake Coker, J.K. Scott, Kenyon Drake, Cooper Bateman as holder, Maurice Smith, uh, Christian Jones, Jabril Washington, Geno Smith, Dylan Lee, although I only think he played most on special teams, Derrick Henry, Alti Tenpenny, Rashawn Evans, Xavier Dixon, uh, Alphonse Taylor, who I thought played better than Leon, but we'll get back to that later. Dalvin Tomlinson, um, I said Dalvin Tomlinson, who had five tackles, Raheem Falkins, O.J. Howard, Jerron Reed, Dakota Ball, Brandon Ivory. Now, I saw Robert Foster get into the game mm-hmm. here at the end, uh, so they missed that. And then Alabama, on their thing that, that came out, uh, well, they show game participation by year. It came, they updated every week. It came out Monday. They said, and Drew, you help me out of this, they said they saw Anthony Averitt out there. But every time I saw 28, it was 10 penny. Did Averitt get in on a late special team play or something? He might have. I can't. I'm not sure. Or did Alabama mess up when they're grading their own film and give give Averett credit for one play on special teams that Tim Penny played? Because every time I saw 28 go out there, it was it was Tim Penny. Yeah, I I I, I know Tim Penny played on special teams. Averett may have got in there late. I don't remember noticing it, Kerry, but I think it was Tim Penny. A lot of the duplicate number kind of situations catch up to him on that. Uh, oh, Marty, Marty, well, I'm sorry, Drew, because I, I yeah. did miss one person that I caught. And Alabama fixed this one, Marty, but the people at the game didn't have it Saturday. Walk-on fullback slash H-back Michael Nicewander, a fifth-year senior from Hoover, got in ahead of Corey McCarron to take the final two snaps at fullback. So uh, those three guys, Nicewander, Foster, and Averitt, are listed as Alabama by having played. And I had caught two of those myself. I'm just not sure about the Averitt Tenpenny situation, Marty, because they both wear number 28. But I had some brand-new binoculars I was using during the game, and every time I saw 28, it was Tenpenny. Yeah, and I just think that – I think it was Tenpenny as well. And nice wander. That, it was, he needed – it doesn't surprise me he got in first. If you watch practice, Kerry, he stayed in his 46 jersey while McCarron is always in a, uh, in a, in a, uh, in a scout team jersey. So that made, that made sense. And some of the media, when they were guessing the depth chart before the season, were showing <laughs> him ahead of McCarron. And I was like, wow, they, they got it right. I guess, I guess, you know, so. But anyway, that was, that was the participation chart for West Virginia, Marty. Hey, I got a question and a comment, if I could make it right quick. Sure. Oh. The question is, 
Uh, everybody's giving uh, kudos to the offense and Blake Sims. And, and don't get me wrong, I like Blake Sims, and I want him to succeed. But I just don't feel like I, – I just don't see him fitting in this style offense that we play. You know, but is this West Virginia defense, are they that good? I mean, are we giving this offense that much credit? Was West Virginia just not that uh, good I mean, we defense? got 538 yards on They can't be that good. You know, they're not a great defense, Marty, but we, we, we got 30 first downs, controlled the clock, 538 yards. If we'd execute a little bit better on a couple plays, it would have been 600 yards. So Blake Sims was not the issue. Offensively, they played well. They, they, did, they did their job. Now they just have to build on it and uh, continue to, uh, to uh, expand the, uh, the, their palette a little bit. Yeah, but it feels like Florida. We've got uh, – well, Florida will be the game that lets us know if we can win with Blake Sims or not, okay? Florida's right. defense is stout. We know that. Uh, but, Marty, I appreciate you calling. We're up against the break, and we're going to be coming back after the commercials with Kurt McNair and then later on around 930, John Garcia. So I appreciate you calling, and uh, please call you, Marty. next week, man. Good deal, man. Appreciate it. All right, roll tide. And with that said, it's uh, one minute after the hour. We've been on for a solid hour now. We're going to take a short break and come back with Kirk McNair, publisher of BamaMag.com. You're listening to BAM's Radio on Blog Talk Radio. Take Bama Sports Radio with you on the go and in your car with the free iPhone app. With cutting-edge features including live broadcast, on-demand radio, play-pause buttons, and text connect, allowing you to text into shows giving True Tide fans an interactive sports radio experience like never before. Go to BamaSportsRadio.com or search Bama Sports Radio in the iPhone app store to get true 24-hour radio on Alabama sports anywhere in the world, only from Bama Sports Radio. Keep up with Bama Sports Radio off the air and on the move for the latest news and programming on all things Alabama. Follow us on Twitter at Bama Sports Radio and like us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Bama Sports Radio. Bama Sports Radio, giving you all tide, all the time.
It is four minutes after the hour. Welcome back to BAMS Radio on Blog Talk Radio. I'm Kerry Clark with BAMAMag.com and joined as always by Drew DiArmond of AlabamaIntel.com. Busy first hour there, a lot of talking back and forth about all aspects of the Alabama victory over West Virginia. We did hear from uh, back-to-back callers there. It's probably the first time in a long time we've had three callers in a row. We had uh, Big C, our good buddy from Greenville. We had uh, Bring the Pain from up around the Quad Cities in North Alabama. And, oh, we had King Crimson. I forgot about him. And then we had Marty. So we had two from Gadsden, one from the Quad Cities, and one from Greenville. So Big C is now our official only caller from the 334 area code. But anyway, that being said, I want to welcome on a first-time guest to BAMS Radio, uh, a, a longtime friend of mine. Uh, we go back a long way, back to when I was a student journalist at Alabama, and he was working in media relations, and then back to when he first started Bama Magazine. And uh, quite frankly, this man that is joining us on the air right now is the reason that I get to cover Alabama football. It's an honor and a privilege to work with him and for him. He's the publisher of uh, Bama Magazine and BamaMag.com's website. Kirk McNair, welcome to BAMS Radio. Well, thank you, Kerry. It's my pleasure. We're so glad to have you, and uh, we're joined also by my partner, Drew DeArmond of Alabama Intel, who you've met several times when we uh, went up to Huntsville uh, and did various speaking engagements. But first, Kirk, let's talk about what you and I saw as we sat in the press box Saturday afternoon. Kind of give us your assessment of Alabama's performance in all three phases. Well, I thought the offense was okay. I thought uh, there were I, I thought there were more good things than bad on the offense. Certainly, uh, one of the things that I watched uh, probably more than most people because I was just uh, really curious about it. I think it's so important is I really watched Cam Robinson a lot, and I thought he did very very well. Now we all noticed too that uh, Vogler, the tight end Brian Vogler probably had more plays on the left side than he ordinarily would. I think they were, you know, just kind of making sure that everything was uh, okay over on that left side. But on the plays where he didn't have help from the tight end, I thought he did very, very well. He's, uh, we, we knew he was big. We knew he was strong. Uh, he is very athletic, particularly for a guy his size. But he, he didn't let uh, – there was no penetration really – from that point, so I thought that was maybe uh, the most important thing I knew. I mean, uh, I saw because after all, we pretty much knew about everything else except, uh, oh yeah, that one position, quarterback, uh, pretty important position. And I thought, I thought that uh, Alabama got got pretty good play from Blake Sims. Not spectacular, certainly, and there were no question there were some errors. Uh, the obvious, uh, the most obvious one was some errant passes, one that was intercepted that was just a floater, a uh, couple that he just threw too low for guys to get that were, you know, key plays. He had a wide-open Amari Cooper on a uh, play that uh, could have been big that he overthrew. Uh, but he also had a couple drops. So, you know, all in all, I thought that Blake had a pretty good game. Uh, and, and it helps, of course, when you can hand the ball to guys like T.J. Yeldon and and uh, Derrick Henry and, and, and clip off about six or seven yards per clip like they averaged. On defense, yeah, no, no. yeah I'm sorry, on defense, uh, not so good uh, because of, uh, I think, a lot of factors went into that. Uh, certainly, I give credit to West Virginia. I thought their quarterback looked pretty good. In fact, uh, if you talk about drop passes, he was really victimized by drop passes and 
and without those, that game might have been even tougher for Alabama. Uh, I thought that uh, up front it was okay, but not a great rush with three men. You know, three men against a hurry-up offense is, in, to my way of thinking, pretty much a waste. You just, you've just about got to go with four, at least four, uh, or you know, shadow or something. You know, to to, to put some sort of pressure on the quarterback. The quarterback can stand back there with a bunch of receivers out running. Somebody's eventually going to get open. And it, it turns out that the guy who was getting open the most was the guy that was being guarded by Bradley Sills. We'd heard so much good about Bradley from uh, Coach Saban, who coaches the cornerbacks. And he seemed to be in the right place quite a few times, but didn't make the play. And, uh, of course, that's the bottom line. You'd you can't just be in the right position. You've also got to finish to make the play. And I thought, uh, as did almost everyone who saw the game, I think, uh, it was easy to pick out Bradley as, as being picked on. But I also thought, on the other hand, Cyrus Jones, who uh, probably had a uh, most unspectacular finish to last season that anybody could have in his first year playing defense, I thought Bradley. I mean, I thought Cyrus Jones played very, very well. I thought the safeties were okay. Linebackers had seemed to have a lot of confusion in the linebacker core, and uh, so I think the defense, particularly getting Trey DePriest back this week, uh, I think that's going to improve uh, quite a bit. Uh, I'm also interested to see how Eddie Jackson comes back this week, as uh, as he seems to be the guy at that cornerback spot with Bradley Silve dropping over to, to be uh, Cyrus Jones' backup. And then found the final phase, uh, the kick, kicking game, uh, one terrible error. Uh, Jabriel Washington goes down, makes the hit on the uh, kickoff return man inside the 20, but there's nobody else around. And when he got, got away from uh, Jabriel Washington, it was off for a 100-yard kickoff return. Without that, I think Alabama's kicking game would have been uh, just about as good as it could be. Uh, Adam Griffith, four for four on field goals, three of them 40 yards or longer. Uh, the punter, J.K. Scott, a freshman, his his first play for Alabama, pretty spectacular, a 62-yard punt with a minus-one return. And uh, <laughs> all in all, Griffith kicked off into the end zone three or four times, uh, uh, so the returns weren't anything great, but uh, they weren't bad either. So I think all in all, uh, you'd probably give the team, a, you know, a good strong B. Yeah, and Kirk, I just want to know how much you think, how much improvement do you expect defensively? Because I think everybody was surprised at the lack of pass rush, and I was just sort of alarmed that they didn't create a new line of scrimmage. They just had a, they just didn't really seem to play with a lot of physicality and urgency, at least not early. I thought they played better in the second half. But just kind of talk about how you think the D-line is going to improve, uh, especially I, I thought John Allen really came on as the game went on. But what do you do you think they will make changes, or what do you think as far as the defensive line goes, what do you expect uh, in the next two weeks? Well, it's it's always been my feeling that when you're playing a team that's not a conventional pro set, I formation, that your dose tackle's pretty much wasted. Uh, there's just almost no way that he can be of any help. I think you really have to have, if you don't have a four-man front, I think you have to have at least a four-man look. 
uh, right. bringing up a linebacker. And Alabama's got the perfect linebackers to do that. So what I think needs, I mean, I, I'm not, uh, you know, going to do too much second guessing of the uh, Nick Saban as a defensive coach. He's, he's pretty, uh, pretty sharp. He's proved that over the years. But I would like to see a fourth man up there. And, and frankly, uh, I want to see some of these young guys. I think that they've brought in people who are just built to play this hurry-up offense, this spread stuff. Uh, Deshaun Hand, uh, Rashawn Evans. I mean, I just I want to see these guys. And you know, they don't have to start, but uh, there's plenty of time in the game to to give them snaps. And I think we'll see more of that this week. So I'd like. I'm very curious as to see what happens there. And then, of course, I really think uh, uh, one of the things that just was notable to me was the only movement before the snap uh, was really just uh, sort of panic movement. You know, people just not didn't seem to be sure what they were doing. And I think that's because you had two middle linebackers, the, guy who, the guys who are supposed to put people where they're supposed to be, they were starting their first games, Reggie Ragland and Reuben uh, Foster. So uh, I think putting Trey DePriest in, in there will probably uh, settle things down a good bit, and I think that Alabama will be a lot better on defense with Trey DePriest in there. Kirk, uh, you're probably one of the few people we've ever had on this show that goes to every single press conference, and, and you, you're as good as anybody – uh, including your good friend Cecil Hurt, at reading between the lines on things that, that Nick Saban says to the media when he's sending messages and all that. That being said, Kirk, uh, how safe is it to say that we're going to see a whole lot more than two plays of Jake Coker this Saturday? <laughs> yeah, I think there's no doubt about that. And I really, you know, going to Jake Coker, um, last week uh, before the game, a few days before the game, I heard it it wasn't a good enough source for me to write it, but it was a good enough source for me to believe it, that Jake Coker, who had had a knee surgery before he ever got to Alabama, had had to have another little procedure. Uh, And that's what it was called, a procedure. Uh, So when he came out much later than the other quarterbacks who had come out for the pre-warm-ups, he was out like eight minutes after they had been out throwing and then uh, when he came out in full uniform, there was that left leg uh, in a looked like a sleeve, uh, which makes me think that he had probably missed work. Uh, maybe he wasn't ready to go, uh, that they felt he wasn't really ready to go. But I, uh, if anything surprised me, it, wasn't, it didn't surprise me so much that he didn't play, having uh, put all of those clues together. What surprised me was that they put him in for the mop-up duty at, you know, for the last three plays. I didn't really see much see the point of that. There may have been a point, but I didn't see it. I think it was just so they could say they got him in. You know, he can now say he he played at Alabama and he played in the first game and da 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 da. And like you and I were discussing Saturday, they, you know, if, if, I think the way you phrased it was, if you fart, you get a letter. But uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I think Jake Coker is uh, – I didn't come up with that. That was in the McNair original, but I do agree with it. Uh, I think that, uh, that it was kind of to get his feet wet. I know all he was doing was, was hand, handing off and all, but uh, that being said, I, I think we're going to see a ton more of him. And 
I think, Kirk, that it's also – we say this every year when it comes to the second and third game, particularly home games against inferior opponents, like somebody that gave up, um, I think it was 700-something yards against Nebraska and 55 points. But I think there will be some other guys, young guys, that didn't play in the Georgia Dome that will play this week. And one example I would give would be young nose guard Josh Frazier. Uh, can you think of anybody else, Kirk? Uh, well, uh, you know, I, I mentioned Rashawn Evans. I think he'll play as a linebacker. And I would be shocked if we don't see Tony Brown at cornerback. Uh, I think that uh, there's a uh, – what, what little we've seen of Tony Brown tells us he's ready to play. Now, somebody said, well, he probably doesn't know the plays yet, but we all know the plays for a cornerback are <laughs> – they're not X's and O's. They're who's that guy you're supposed to be on, be on him, turn around, knock the ball down or get it or get him. But uh, – that's a guy that I think is is ready to be seen. Of course, I'd like to see Marlon Humphrey because I haven't seen him. All I've seen him in is some some drills out there, and of course he looks great in drills, but uh, that's not real football. So uh, those are some guys I'd like to see. Um, and I don't know, I'd, maybe more of Robert Foster uh, since he's uh, uh, since DeAndre White's out for a couple of weeks, we might see. More of Chris Black or Robert Foster or, or Darius Stewart, I, I could see that happening. Uh, and the one one guy that I think we may see more of is Kenyon Drake. Uh, we know what TJL, we know what all of them can do, uh, but uh, Drake didn't get much of an opportunity in the in the first game, even after Saban had talked about him a lot in the preseason as being a mismatch guy a guy that uh, that they might put out and get him into the pass formations and see uh see what he can what he can do out there in space which I'm pretty sure we all know what that'd be uh be pretty spe- spectacular so uh there are a lot of people I think that we might see we might see some more uh more offensive linemen uh which you know I think this I think Alabama's first offensive line did pretty well except for Leon Brown's penalties, and uh, I think that uh, the second line, on paper at least, to me looks like a pretty good one, and I wouldn't mind seeing them uh, get some work as a unit. Well, and Kirk, I, I, I wanted to ask about uh, someone that I was surprised didn't play more Saturday, and I wanted to know if you were. Were you surprised at the lack of reps for Dylan Lee? I was a little bit because uh, – uh, Saban's talked about him so much playing not only inside but outside, and uh, mm-hmm. and we didn't see very much of him. And uh, and I know Saban is very high on him, uh, so maybe that surprised me just a little bit. Yeah, and another question about the linebackers. I just I felt like Xavier Dixon made some plays, but I kind of felt like that Denzel Deval is not really a guy that that fits with Sam. I don't think he. I think he, he and Xavier would be better rotating at Jack and almost being the fourth guy on the fourth man front to rush the passer, especially against these uh, spread teams. But I, I'm just wondering if they're going to try Dylan, if Dylan Lee's going to see some time at Sam. And also I think this would be a great opportunity to get Rashawn Evans on the field because I think he can rush the passer. And then I guess the last part of the question, because he's obviously was in deep in the doghouse, but do you think, at some point in the season, that they will have a role for Tim Williams, or do you see him redshirting? That's a good question because I think Tim Williams is a great talent, and uh, 
Right. You know, we haven't seen much of him, but uh, what we have has been pretty impressive. Uh, certainly he has been in the doghouse, and um, but Saban doesn't seem to be one to hold a grudge. You know, he, um, he, he seems to, you know, a guy, a guy pays his fine, so to speak, and then he's, uh, you know, he's back in good graces. Uh, so I, I, I hesitate to say that Tim Williams is going to be redshirted, but, of course, you look at Alabama's football team, and Alabama's football team is so deep with good players. Uh, I can see both sides of it. I can see the temptation to say, well, we don't need to use him. Let's hold him back. But I can also see Nick Saban saying, shoot, we're going to be recruiting. We're not going to quit recruiting. Let's play these guys and bring in some more. And so uh, I don't think I could be surprised by whatever happens there. You know, I've got a little bit of a theory. And it's just a theory. I've got no substance to back this up. Kirk, if you'll recall, and Drew, if you'll recall, in the Sugar Bowl loss to Oklahoma, Christian Jones only played on special teams. Yes. He he didn't play any offensive snaps that game. Mm-hmm. Well, Dylan Lee played on a good bit of special teams this past Saturday, but he played next to no defensive snaps. I mean, there might have been two or three. Right. But sometimes Saban has suspensions from being in the regular playing rotation that don't always apply to special teams. And I think that that DUI may have limited Dylan Lee's playing time at linebacker because there were plenty of times, Kirk, they could have put him in there and maybe settle things down. They never really did. I agree. Okay. Yeah, I, that, you know, and that may be, uh, and that may have been part of the the penalty, so to speak. But he was playing some, as you say, on special teams. He played certainly on the kickoff coverage team. He was on, in on that, I know. So um, it's hard to hard to get a read on Nick Saban sometimes. But uh, I don't think he's. I don't think it's because he forgets. I think it's. <laughs> I think it is because he remembers. Yeah, and I, I I think it's going to be very interesting because I I, I I'm like you, uh, uh, Kirk. I'm I'm anxious to see the plan for Kenyon Drake. I think maybe you know the reason Drake didn't play as many offensive snaps could have also been because of his situation uh, that's been well chronicled that he had early in fall camp. Uh, he did make the trip. He did play on special teams, but he may have also not played as much offensively because of that. I'm. I was anxious because they didn't really show any uh, – they didn't use some things with Blake Sims you think they would use. They only ran the speed op- the read option once, and that was to uh, Derrick Henry for about a seven- or eight-yard gain. And then I know they've used a uh, zone read with him before, and they've also used the quarterback draw, and they really didn't do any of that. And I still think there's some things they can build on with Blake's strengths offensively if he continues to you know start. Well, I think that's right, and I think that that's that's certainly not a surprise. I think in these first three games, Alabama's holding back a lot. Uh, Maybe not not a lot in numbers, but a lot in in philosophy, uh, and that they'll be um, uh, the the team that plays against Florida, I suspect, will not look like the same team that plays these first three games. Good point. I think that's a fair assessment. And, Kirk, uh, we've kind of decided this week that the 9 to 10 o'clock hour, uh, at least central time, I know we have listeners in other time zones, the 9 to 10 o'clock hour tonight on Bama's radio is basically BamaMag.com hour because you've been kind <laughs> enough to join us 
for this first 20, 25 minutes now. And uh, coming up at 930, we've got our uh, BamaMag.com recruiting guru extraordinaire Syracuse broadcasting graduate, John Garcia. He'll be joining us in about five minutes. Kirk, uh, I, I don't want to disparage anybody. I don't want to name any names. But i got to say that the recruiting coverage at BamaMag.com has taken on new dimensions and positive dimensions since John Garcia joined us a couple of years ago. No doubt about that. This is a guy who played college football. He knows the game from that standpoint. He trained to be a journalist, uh, albeit a broadcast journalist, but uh, uh, nevertheless a journalist. And, uh, in fact, he was a print journalist in college. He was editor of his school paper. So you just about couldn't ask for uh, a better uh, foundation for what he does. And then you add into that, this guy, I don't know when he sleeps. He is a tireless (laughs) worker. He called me at before 7 o'clock this morning to to do a podcast. And, uh, you know, of course... I was up, no problem there, but uh, I'm just, you know, he works early in the morning, and then he's out uh, on the road, he's up late, he's uh, very knowledgeable and a hard worker, and uh, knows what he's looking at. Uh, that makes for a perfect storm for, for BamaMag.com and Bama Magazine uh, covering recruiting for us. I, I couldn't be, I could not be more pleased. And I'll say this for him, Kirk, too. He also doesn't have an ego, which is refreshing. He's a very, very good guy. He talks to anybody. He'll talk ball with anybody. And in this business, that's that's a very good trait to have. Very good. And, you know, even though he covers recruiting, uh, we talk about football a lot, too. And, uh, you know, he's an astute observer of what's going on at the college level, even though he spends most of his time uh, maybe looking at high school video and high school games, uh, he he has got his finger on the pulse of what's going on at the Alabama level. And you know something he did for me, Kirk, and I, I haven't even said anything to John about this yet, but I really appreciated it, and I wanted to share it with you. For, you know, Kirk, I've been doing for you a column called Friday Night Lights for a number of years now, about seven or eight years, and every time that they run these, tweets and these posts about something called scout on the town they they'd never acknowledge that i do that this year for the first time john garcia is going into my articles and taking things i write about the, the players that i scout this past week with lester cotton of central tuscaloosa and making it part of of an article he does for scout on the town so it's just made me feel like more part of the team so i just want to say now not only is a great guy he's a great teammate oh yeah you're, you're right and uh and I think uh, that just is another example of him recognizing something that was very valuable. Uh, your column, your uh, weekly column, which is uh, not only um, uh, enlightening, it's very entertaining. I think anybody who's who's not reading that is uh, is missing uh, a fun read, uh, as well as a, as as well as an informative read, but also a fun read. And uh, I'm I'm not at all surprised that John would pick up on that. Is as a, as a overall strength of the website. It was kind of funny how it happened because he sent me a text, uh, I think it was Sunday morning, saying, hey, can you send me some thoughts about what you thought about Lester Cotton? And I said, my reply was, you mean besides what I put in the story? <laughs> and he came back and said, oh, 
forgot about that. Yeah. And by the way, those quotes were money. He liked the co- he liked the quotes that I got from the two coaches about the, about the Lester Cotton. So, John, just a wonderful guy. He's been a great addition to our Bama Mag family. Uh, and it is like a family, and you make it that way, Kirk. And uh, you've been very gracious with your time tonight. Uh, John's going to be calling in here in about another minute or two. And a minute or two is about the only time we're going to give Thomas Watts, to do, our producer, to do his Florida Atlantic preview. So that'll be between <laughs> you and John. <laughs> okay. I do want to thank you. I do want to thank you, Kirk, for joining us. And uh, we hope that this is, this is going to be a regular thing. If you could join us every few weeks, that'd be great. And we'll talk further about that. But thank you so much for being with us tonight. Hey, it's my pleasure, guys, and uh, have have a good rest of the night. Thank we'll you, Kurt. We really appreciate you doing we'll do this. That's uh, Kurt McNair, uh, publisher of BamaMag.com and also Bama Magazine, which uh, the fall edition is on newsstands everywhere now. And uh, we're going to be joined in just a few minutes, probably just a minute or two, by John Garcia. So give us a 45-second preview of the vaulted Florida Atlantic University Owls, Thomas Watts. Uh, okay, 45 seconds on Florida Atlantic. Here we go. A lot of this is going to be based off of the one game that they played against Nebraska. And just to give you an idea of the defensive prowess of the Florida Atlantic Owls, they gave up 700, 784 yards. A lot of stuff on the ground. Obviously, mm-hmm. what does that mean? If, you're, if you have ever carried a football and you have put on an Alabama uniform, you will get carries this weekend. Just, just period, end of story. Um, I will say that Florida Atlantic, one of the, it was weird. They, they lost to Nebraska 55-7, to but they didn't score the touchdown in garbage time. They scored the touchdown on the first series of the game, so it was actually 7-7 to before Nebraska ripped off 48 straight. I, I watched the series, and it was fairly impressive. The play calling was decent. and it, But after this 71-yard drive, before Nebraska subbed out their starters, they only gained 70, uh, 51 more yards. Excuse me. So it was like one great series, and then Nebraska realized there was a football game going on, and they turned on the afterburners and just jetted away. But convert – like. It's hard to say if they're any good. Okay, they're not good. They're not a good team. But it's hard to scout because they were beaten so badly. Their leading running back, Jay Warren, he had 14 carries for 77 yards. Obviously a pretty good average at 5.5 yards a carry. And that's if there's going to be a spot where the Owls find success against Alabama, it'll be rushing just because the quarterbacks combined to be 11 of 30 for, yes, 95 yards passing, but 11 of 30, that, that's, uh, that's just not acceptable at, for, for a top-level program. I will say that the stats are a little dis- distorted because Florida Atlantic-Nebraska was supposed to be the Pelini Bowl, but the uh, Pelini Bowl got derailed by illegal substances <laughs> that that that's the pc way of putting it and i really i think that bo Pelini put it on fau pretty bad i do not expect alabama to, to put up 55 unless florida atlantic just rolls over and dies but looking at this game 
Alabama's going to be able to name their score. I think the thing you need to look for for the Bama offense, how does Jacob Coker look when the bullets are live? I, I, I have a slightly different opinion on Blake Sims, and I, I don't want to get into that because that's a 10-minute soliloquy and it goes back to the show. But I, I want to see how Coker looks live fire. I think that'll be something really interesting to look at. But even more than that, a chance to look at the folks that don't get to play very often, the second, the third stringers, and the guys that, oh, they were a four-star, they were a five-star coming out of high school, but they're just kind of buried in the depth chart as they mature, they go through the strength and conditioning program. That's what I want to see on both sides of the ball in terms of Alabama. It's not that I'm dismissive of Florida Atlantic. It's just I legitimately feel like this is a scrimmage, and it's more about seeing – where the certain skill players plug into things. What it, it almost like using this game as a preview for what either happens later on in the season as the extreme talent from the previous couple of recruiting classes matures more, or even a year down the road. That's what I'm looking for for Florida Atlantic. But anyway, John Garcia is on hold. So, Kerry, do you want to bring him on, and I will make him live? I would like to do that. We're joined now by uh... – Scott.com and BamaMag.com. John Garcia, a good friend of the show. I hope he was listening when I uh, got Kurt McNair to pump him up a few minutes ago. Uh, but uh, second part of BamaMag.com hour on uh, BAM's radio tonight is the appearance of my friend and yours, John Garcia. So John, how's it going tonight, man? Fellas, it's going pretty good. Um, was Kirk lying about me or what? Uh, he was pumping you up, man. I threw him a little softball about what a great job you do. and You should go back and listen to the podcast. He, uh, he and I both did a good job of pumping you up. And, and I want to thank you personally, John, because as I told Kirk, for the last several years there's been all these tweets and posts about scaling the town this and scaling the town that. And there's never any love for CC Family's Friday Night Lights column until John Garcia, Jr. took the bull by the horns and took some of my Lester Cotton uh, quotes and, and summaries that I wrote for the column and put it in the Scout on the Town article, and now I feel like I'm really part of the Scout on the Town. So thank you, John Garcia. <laughs> no problem. You know, it's just we're very fortunate to be a part of the biggest team nationally in terms of, you know, uh, a brand. And, we you know, we have people at all these games, and anytime you're watching high-level kids, it means you're going to be watching Alabama Commitment. So, you know, between you, myself, uh, and Derek Young out in Missouri, we saw three four-stars in about 36 hours, and I just thought it was pretty cool. So I just wanted to sort of remind everybody of that and, and sort of just give all of our opinions on the guys we saw because that's the beauty of it, sort of just uh, checking how these guys progress and how they do in live action because all the camps and all that, is those are very fun. We love going to those, but really it's about those Friday nights and those Saturday nights with the pads on. So, when we're able to see that in person, I always like to bring that to light because I feel like that's – I know it's one of the funnest parts of your job and mine as well, but I think um, it really provides the best insight for the consumer, which is why we all do what we do. So um, you deserve it, Kerry. And well, you have my permission to use anything I write tomorrow night about Deron Payne or Keith Mixon if you choose to use it, no problem. Because I've actually got a Thursday night game this week, uh, Shades Valley at Center Point. Looking forward to it. And um, – but, uh, John, you know, Kirk was making another good point uh, that when you and he uh, talk, it's not always about recruiting. Sometimes it's actually about college football itself and, in specific, uh, how different guys look. So I wanted to ask you before we get into the full-bore recruiting, 
I wanted to ask you, after watching Alabama play Saturday, as a former college cornerback, how did you think Alabama's corners did? And I, and I think I know what you're going to say, but I want to hear it from you. <laughs> well, I, first of all, let me say this, starting off, because I do believe in um, secrets in terms of uh, football coverage. So I do believe that Nick Saban and company on both sides of the ball didn't truly show their full deck, if you get what I'm saying. They definitely didn't want to get into the sexy coverages and things like that. Now, that said, uh, obviously, Sills, uh, and Cyrus Jones, you know, they, they kind of are what they are at this point. They're solid players, uh, and Jones obviously has a little bit of a higher ceiling because he came over from the receiver position. But um, I think we can all safely expect some of that uh, freshman influence to start taking over in the next couple of weeks. It doesn't mean Tony Brown and Marlon Humphrey will be starting anytime soon, but in terms of uh, combating these spread offenses and having multiple DBs on the field, I think um, – there'll be more of a chess match with uh, matching up, you know, a bigger Tony Brown against a bigger wide receiver, like when, you know, LSU comes to town or what have you. So I think those will be um, something, some adjustments you might see going forward. And I think the game one just sort of reaffirmed that, um, that, you know, the, the group is going to be shuffled plenty of times. It's not a knock on anybody or, or two to the horn to anybody else. I just think um, there's so many different skill sets that you need to utilize and you have, a lot of depth, although you don't have a lot of experience. So I think uh, the right combination of that will be found in these next couple of weeks before Florida on September 20th, which is really the first true benchmark of the season now that West Virginia is out of the way. Well, John, getting back to recruiting now, um, where where are the things stand right now with Alabama as far as announcements coming in the next couple of months and uh, the chance of any of those kids announcing for the Crimson Tide? <laughs> well, um, speaking of ever-changing, um, you have Drew <laughs> Richmond announcing, um, I guess, what, six days from now? So next Tuesday, September 9th, he'll be picking. Uh, technically, he'll be picking from his top ten, but we all know it's a much shorter list than that. As for who is truly on that list, it has literally changed four or five times in the last week from people I've been talking to, Tennessee, Ole Miss, uh, the clear front runners, you know, interchangeable in terms of a leader. Alabama is somewhere right after that. Ohio State feels like they are in good position to land him. So, I mean, he's done a really good job of keeping it close to the vest, either that or he's done a really good job of telling everybody what they want to hear. (laughs) So a lot of staffs and players feel good about his commitment. You know, I, I was told that, he has um, hinted at committing to three different schools to three different groups of commitments. You know, those of you guys who follow us at Bama Mag and, and even on my own podcast know that all these groups now, they all have these massive group text messages. So all the Tennessee commits, yes. all the Bama commits, all every school, they all basically send one text and it goes to every other commitment on the list. Um, and I've his name has circulated on multiple group text messages, and, and they all feel good about it. And some of them even say, yeah, he told us he's coming. And that's not just one SEC program uh, with their commits telling me that. So if it's getting all the way to me, uh, it means it's happening quite a bit. So Drew is definitely um, – it's, it's tough for him to say no at this point, and it makes a lot of sense because, let's be honest, whenever he commits on September 9th, or I should say wherever he commits to, that's not going to be the ending point. It's really just sort of naming a public leader because he's going to take all five official visits. So if it's Ole Miss or Tennessee, 
you know, Bama's still going to get an official visit. Ole Miss, Tennessee, Ohio State, these schools are all going to technically still be in the running for his signature, which is, of course, all that really matters in the end. So um, next Tuesday, uh, it's safe to say I will not be heading to Memphis for a commitment ceremony, but I will definitely be paying attention uh, to see sort of what he says after he makes his decision and, and see if his recruiting approach changes at all because he shut it down in the last couple of weeks off of social media. He doesn't want to do interviews until he makes his public commitment on September 9th. So uh, I'll, I'll be interested to see if anything changes at that point with his plan. Um, so, of course, Alabama uh, really wants him. Obviously, the tackle position is something that um, I wouldn't say they've struggled with, but it's been it's been up and down, sort of like quarterback was before Blake Barnett committed in June. There was, there was a real question mark. There was a worry, you know, is Alabama going to have to sort of settle for uh, you know a, a two or three star guy in the state later in the in the cycle, or can they really make a splash with one of these big name guys? And sure enough, they get a guy who had maybe the best summer of any quarterback in the country. So it, it tends to work out in the end when you're Alabama. But at this moment, there is sort of that same question mark with the offensive tackle position, and Drew Richmond is at the forefront of that. Him, Isaiah Prince, who's on the complete other side of the spectrum in that he's not making a decision anytime soon or even visits anytime soon. So that makes it difficult to sort of gauge where you're at when you want uh, a priority left tackle type of guy. So those are the two names to still keep an eye on. But there is that second tier developing. There's a kid up in New York named John Phillips committed to Boston College that uh, Alabama has been uh, reaching out to fairly recently. Uh, So there's definitely more names, Jalen Merrick in Florida. There's some more names developing on that next tier should things fall through with Richmond and, of course, Isaiah Prince. Uh, so he's committing September 9th, Richmond is, and then Will Gregg is committing September 23rd. Of course, Will Gregg's buddy, K.J. Hill, committed to Arkansas last week, and um, he was public about it being a package deal. Of course, Gregg being a four-star tight end from Arkansas, Hill being a four-star receiver from Arkansas. But sort of like Richmond, these guys are all in the same boat in that they're making their commitments specifically before they take official visits. So um, it's quite interesting in, in today's world. It, these guys are sort of microcosms of just what the game has become. It's, be, it's become something where you commit and then you, you sort of worry about it after that. So it's, it's sort of bizarre, but that's just the trend with, with um, the ever-changing uh, flow of, of recruiting momentum. So uh, Greg is going to take an official visit to Texas this weekend. It's actually Charlie Strong's first official visitor, so you know he's going to bring out the big guns there. Um, but, again, Arkansas is the in-state school. He he has, Greg himself said that he's a package deal with Hill, who is already committed to Arkansas, so that sort of paints a, a very easy picture at that point. Uh, so the Hogs should feel really good about Greg, especially since he moved his decision up. He was originally going to commit uh, in late November, mid to late November, after he was done with all of his officials. So certainly it would have carried more weight at that point. But um, while attending K.J. Hill's ceremony, Greg says, hey, you know what, I'm going to push my decision up and I'm going to commit in a couple of weeks. So, uh, you know, the the stars are aligned, if you will, for Brett Bielema, and it's big for him. It's, it's what he needs and his recruiting class needs. Now, do they hold on to those guys? That, that could be a completely different story, but certainly um, – he should feel good about his public commitment on September 23rd. But you never know. You know, like I said, Texas is going to get him on campus before that, and Charlie Strong has been known to, to take a guy or two out of uh, somebody else's hand right at the last moment. So we shall see. So those are the big ones coming up 
it's September, October, you have a guy like Jacquez Patrick making his decision, running back from Florida, a four-star who has Alabama in his top two. But, you know, he's from Orlando. He cried when FSU offered him way back in the day. And that's where most people end up, the commitments on, on the Florida State group message. Feel really good about uh, Jacquez Patrick. They kind of already treat him like one of their own commitments. So Alabama's maybe not going to get some good news right now with these next few announcements, but, again, they're going to be in the running for these signatures come December if they're early enroll guys like, like Will Gregg is or come February for the normal guys. So uh, maybe not so good news in the short term, but certainly uh, potential for very good news in the long term. Well, that's a good stuff, John. I had not – I last time I had spoken to Greg, he was still talking about November, so I had not already moved it up. Obviously, Arkansas has got to feel really good about that. Uh, I wanted to ask you about right. speaking to cornerback play, a guy that we we tweeted uh, we were tweeting each other and talking and texting. What did you think, obviously, about Montrell Custis? Uh, we, uh, I didn't have a chance to speak with you on my show last week, but uh, that my show was uh, was postponed. But just I wanted to get your thoughts on Montrell Custis and what kind of prospect you feel like Alabama's getting in uh, the Lovejoy Star. I just I'm, I'm so back and forth with his position, and I think everybody is. You know, at Scout we had him as. When he was committed to Kentucky and he was evaluated, we had him as a cornerback, a three, a high three-star, fringe four-star cornerback. Um, and then all of a sudden, you know, he he decommits and spends a couple of days in Tuscaloosa camps and ends up uh, committing to the Tide. And we sort of reevaluate him at the, uh, I think it was the Atlanta Nike camp, and we said, you know what, maybe he's more of a safety. Uh, so that debate has has sort of gone on right now. He is a four-star safety on scout. Uh, but I think he could easily switch right back to corner, you know, after this season. And after seeing him on Friday night, I'm I'm sort of in the corner camp now. Now, he did play free safety nice. for Lovejoy, barely got a ball his way. It was, it was sort of frustrating for me. So, you know, I'm evaluating him on, on his pursuit and him running down on special teams and things like that because in terms of ball skills, we really didn't get to see much because, they, you know, they knew what they were doing. So he wanted to – other passes were underneath. And, and Lovejoy got a monster lead because they got – some five-star receiver named Preston Williams that made things look really easy on the offensive end. So once they got the big lead, it, it really it was sort of bad uh, in terms of watching or evaluating. Uh, but with Custis, you know, he pursues the ball very well, understands the angles. He's a really smart guy. Um, but but physically, you know, he's about six one, maybe one eighty. He doesn't. He's, he's not that bulldog physical guy like a Rico McGraw who who you could line him up at safety or corner, and he, he's going to try to knock your face off every single time. And that's not a knock to Custis, but he's just more of a finesse guy. You know, Minka Fitzpatrick, physical guy. Tony Brown, physical guy. Custis, a little more finesse. But Deontay Thompson, a little more finesse as well. And these are all elite four- or five-star defensive backs. So um, with the finesse nature of him and his savvy and his length, because he's sort of a long six-one corner, if he can continue to, to run well and, and – show that he can clock that 4-5 range. I think corner is just going to be his ceiling. Uh, I just see him being a boundary guy who can, who can drop back in the zone and really react, uh, again, which are translatable skills to the safety position. So it wouldn't surprise me either way, but just based on what I saw and then kind of the vibe he gave off, I'm thinking cornerback at the end of the day. But, of course, at Alabama and at any school, it depends on the scheme. You know, if you're – a cover two scheme, you want corners who are going to be very, very physical at all times. But out in Alabama, there's a lot of zone. There's a lot of uh, deep third responsibility, and I think he sort of fits that to a T. Kind of Deion Blue-esque, if that makes a little bit of sense. 
Well, that's great stuff, John. And I'm going to ask you about another guy that's uncommitted, and he doesn't really I set a, a, a specific date. But, with you know, I just think Alabama right now needs a talent infusion them in the secondary. I know they've got young guys like Tony Brown and Marlon Humphrey they are going to be worked in, but I think they've got a six-man class, and I really think uh, they should sign, they are going to try to sign Kendall Sheffield for a seventh guy. I'm, I'm not of the opinion that someone would have to decommit. I just think he's too good not to take. Uh, give your right. thoughts. You, you you kind of broke the deal with Alabama getting back in with Sheffield. What have you heard? Have you heard anything lately on Kendall? Yeah, um, you know, we had somebody at his game. He's injured right now. He's got an ankle, which is sort of a theme of recruiting right now. Blake Barnett's got an ankle. Desharius Flowers has got an ankle. Kendall Sheffield's got an ankle. But, uh, of course, doesn't slow his, his recruiting. Um, he's a quiet kid, first of all. Um, he's not going to give away too much. Uh, he he's so he's sort of a smart kid that he gets when you're when you interview him you he gets when you're about to ask him that follow up about that school which could give away some information so he he almost changes the subject when I was talking to him out in Oregon uh, and I started to get on the Alabama track Tony Brown you know natural <laughs> Murray Smith track of a scenario about you know guys from Texas playing DB at Alabama him running track like Humphrey and Tony Brown. He sort of he saw me doing it, and he sort of uh, pulled back and was like, "Yeah, so you know, I'm keep my options open." He's he wanted to switch it up, so he's very very calculated, as calculated as a defensive back as, as I've ever seen in recruiting. Um, but with that said, he he has talked about his relationship with with Murray Smith, fellow defensive backs from Texas, and the fact that when he does go to Alabama, he wants to hang out with Tony Brown. Uh, it's sort of I, I wouldn't say his idol because he's only you know, a year older than him, but he definitely looks up to a guy like that, a guy from Texas who was able to establish himself as arguably the top corner in the country as as well as a sprinter. And Alabama recognized that from the beginning and has opened the track door from day one. They they maybe didn't do that with Brown and Humphrey. They always were sort of open to it, but they, you know, Nick Saban's not a big fan of, of guys playing multiple sports. Uh, obviously, we all know what happened with Jameis Winston, what have you. So, He's been more open to it of late, but uh, he wasn't open to it from day one with guys like Brown and Humphrey. Of course, it was probably day two, but with Sheffield, because of what happened with Brown and Humphrey and how much it helped Alabama's chances, you know, day one, Sheffield has had that green light. You can run track. Here's the track coach's information. You know, he sat down with those guys when he was in Tuscaloosa in July, and now he wants to make that return visit uh, at some point this fall. We don't know if it's going to be an official. It most likely will, but the schools he's talking about the most right now are Alabama and LSU. It's no surprise when you're talking about defensive backs and you're talking about uh, track athletes, two really good track programs as well. So uh, Alabama's going to have to fight off some people here, but it, it's not the people we're thinking. You know, Texas, Texas A&M for, for maybe the last year have been looked at as, oh, you know, he's going to end up in state. There's no way he leaves. And those are the two schools often mentioned. But uh, there's there's a sense that he wants to leave the state and sort of, not join these other guys, but sort of piggyback off of them and, and the idea of, of leaving the state, sort of making your own mark, you know, still in the SEC, but, you know, not at the traditional Texas or Texas A&M like everybody expects. And, and it makes sense because, like I said, he's so calculated even with interviews that he almost doesn't like the conversation to go with a flow. He likes to switch it up almost on purpose. So if he's like that in, in just the conversation, it makes a lot of sense that he would be like that as a recruit, you know, let me switch it up. Let me not just go to Texas or Texas A&M like everyone expects me to do. Let me go to an Alabama, an LSU, a Florida State, 
you know, let me switch it up and, and do something a little bit different. So, of course, that's a big advantage for, for Nick Saban and Alabama, and they know that and they'll play to that as well. They they do as good a job as anybody about jumping on certain trends with kids. With Tony Brown, it was his dad, and his dad's unfortunate health situation. They really sort of latched on to that and wanted to, to let their family know that they were about you know him as well and accommodating their time. And that was a big reason, honestly, that Tony Brown picked Alabama. His father is, is the biggest Nick Saban fan maybe in the world right now because of how they – tailored their recruitment of Brown around, you know, his situation. So I think Alabama's track record of, of sort of adjusting and, and making recruiting truly a case-by-case basis uh, really shines through with these elite guys. And I think Kendall Streffel could be that next guy out of Texas. You know, we're talking several years in a row now out of the Lone Star State, Aishon Robinson in 2012, or 2013 Brown in 2014, and maybe Sheffield in 2015 that. Alabama really sort of swoops in later than most and, and gets a, a real gem and a guy who, who is going to be looked at uh, playing early. So they're in really good position. But like you said, Drew, not in any rush to make a decision or even set up prison. So we'll have to wait and see. John, our uh, chat room was curious to know. Uh, they asked about what games each of us was going to this week. I've got a Thursday game, uh, Shades Valley at, at center point. Well, what, what game will you be covering this weekend? You know, I've been sort of back and forth. There are not many marquee games on Friday. Uh, so I'm, I'm kind of going to, I don't want to say go the lazy route, but I'm going to sort of parlay it a little bit. You know, Richie Pettibone uh, is a guy who's a commitment that's not talked about enough. He's playing on ESPNU, I think, at 8 o'clock Friday night. So I think I might do a, sort of the digital scenario and keep up with the Alabama uh, commitments and targets in state playing while also checking out Pettibone live. I just want to see sort of how he is on the field now that he's a committed prospect because he was really adamant about getting things out of the way. So I might just sort of do the film thing on Friday and check out Pettibone. But uh, if I do end up going to a game, I will probably be at Dale County uh, against Charles Henderson. So that's Jamarius Henderson against Richard McBride, the Auburn commitment, a pair of uh, really solid three-star guys on scout.com going at it. And, and Henderson has had this game circled on his calendar for a while, not only because, you know, McBride is an Auburn commitment and he would love to do well as a running back against a guy like that, but uh, he's also talked about maybe making a commitment uh, on Friday after the game. So he's, he's been really uh, close to the vest about which coaches might have somebody in attendance to sort of let them know how, how Jamarius is doing, but he's really hyped up this game. So it's almost another reason to almost not be there, sort of check out, you know, the chatter and where some coaches are. Uh, so we'll, we'll look to follow up with him, whether we're there or not. That's That'll be my main priority on Friday while also checking out a guy like that. You know what I'm, so, I'm, 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 I'm covering Friday, John? I'm doing a game tomorrow night, but you know what I'm covering Friday? I'm taking my wife to see when the game stands tall. So I'm still going to be covering high school football just in the movie theater Friday night. Right. Exactly. But, uh, it's all about technology. <laughs> yeah. And I, I, I have, go ahead, Drew. No, I was just going to add one more thing, John. If you do do the digital deal, uh, I will more than likely, you know, head to a game. But I, I, if, I, if I do not as well, uh, there, I may end up just catching this. But I did speak uh, with Jeff Steinberg, the head football coach, uh, at Santiago High School Sunday, and their game with Santa Margarita is supposed to be on Internet TV. So he was telling me go. more than likely that was going to happen. So that's another one you could check out uh, with Blake. I know you, he did kind of tweak his ankle, but I think he's definitely going to play. I think he's good. He, oh, yeah. I talked to him Saturday. He, he seemed good. And 
and uh, they're but they're really excited. He says it's going to be a big step up with Santa Margarita. They got a really good program, and uh, it's going it's going to be a big challenge uh, uh, Friday night at seven, which would be I guess nine o'clock our time. Hey Drew, yeah, they ought to call that the Buffett Bowl. <laughs> they ought to call that the Buffett Bowl because it's the Sharks and Blake against Santa Margarita. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, so there's a good chance that was on. And I'm glad John mentioned Pettibon being on ESPNU. Did not know that. Uh, but, again, it looks like uh, – yeah, from what Coach told me, the original plan was for the game to be on Fox TV, but I think that got deep six. But I think it's going to be on live Internet television. So we'll have to see about that. John, it's you probably our fault for uh, not being owned by Fox anymore. <laughs> yeah, well, we can't help that. You brought up a name earlier, John, uh, that I wanted to ask you about before we let you go. Uh and it's Tennessee commitment wide receiver Preston Williams. Uh, you saw him play in person. A, what was your impression? And B, is Alabama making a late run? Well, Bama's going to try. We all know that uh, receiver is another one of these buzzword positions in this class of 2015. The two guys that are committed right now, Calvin Ridley, you know, the, the only the only guy behind Preston Williams, or the only guy ahead of, of Ridley is Preston Williams, I should say. On scout.com. Um, he's from South Florida. His season's going to wrap up here in the next two weeks because of his age limit in the, in the Florida uh, high school system. So he's going to have a whole lot of time to uh, be a recruit. Um, so Florida State, Miami, uh, Florida, certainly Ohio State will, will be on his trail as much as possible. Uh, so he's always one to keep an eye on. And then the other one is Dalen Charlotte. out of Patterson, Louisiana. LSU has come full speed at him since offering him this summer, of course, well after he committed to Alabama. And he's talking about making a decision at the Under Armour game. So anytime a commitment is talking about making a decision, it's, it's never <laughs> never the best news for the school he's committed to. So certainly both wide receiver commitments are very coveted guys, and Alabama feels like they could hang on to each, and I think they should, and that would be my guess for each today. But, of course, long way to go, and those guys are facing some big-time in-state school pressure uh, for, for six or so months going forward. So, like I said, the receiver situation could end up being a fluid one. K.J. Hill, we talked about earlier, is a guy to keep an eye on. Uh, Lawrence Cager from Maryland, another one to keep sort of an eye on. Ohio State is in good position there, maybe even Virginia Tech. But Preston Williams is one that Alabama's been on for a very long time. He broke out as a freshman at Lovejoy High School and started picking up offers then. Alabama came in soon after that. Um, but Tennessee jumped on board, and his fiance goes to Tennessee, so that might be the biggest thing they have going for them. Yes, he is engaged at 17 years old. <laughs> so um, that's that's the biggest thing with recruiting. You know, Alabama's going to try to get him on campus. Uh, he did say that Alabama and Georgia have been the schools recruiting him the hardest um, despite his commitment. So they're certainly making an effort. Um, as for if he actually gets on campus, we shall see again. Tennessee's got a pretty good uh, situation going on with him right now with, with his fiance being enrolled there. But but on the field, uh, there's no denying Preston Williams, and, and I mean that in every way. He's, he's the biggest cat on there, 6'5", a good 200 pounds or so. He can do a little bit of everything. He's, he's their punt returner. He can catch balls um, down the field, obviously high-pointing them because he's so big. Uh, he could also get, get you mid-range and, and take a hit because of that size. Just a long strider. He's not a burner. He's not going to run by you but his long stride will get to you eventually. He's just hes nearly impossible to stop. He catches everything that comes his way, and he even punts and kicks off for Lovejoy High School. So a pretty uh, pretty versatile kid, really eccentric talent. 
uh, just somebody that is he's an instant impact no matter where he goes, whether it's Alabama, Tennessee. Uh, he's looking at USC and UCLA as well, sort of a, uh, you know obscure visits. But you know, he's a different cat. He's a, he's a kid that likes um, the movie industry. He's trying to launch a clothing line and he models. So this is a kid that has a lot on his plate, uh, a wedding, you know, a five-star ranking, <laughs> modeling, acting. He wants to do a lot of things. So his recruitment is, is, is going to be interesting. Obviously, USC and UCLA will probably play to that acting and modeling angle if, if they can while he gets out there. Tennessee can play the fiancé angle. Bama can, of course, play the football and the need for receivers angle because, you know, in theory, Amari Cooper will be gone after this season. DeAndre White is a senior. Christian Jones is a senior. So there's going to be a youth movement regardless of what happens uh, at the receiver position for Alabama. Uh, but, again, he's talented enough to play immediately no matter where he goes. Um, but he's such a different cat that almost nothing would surprise me. I could see him flipping to UCLA tomorrow just because he finds out that it's, you know, 20 minutes from um, a certain studio or something. He's, he's that type of guy, a uh, really fun kid to talk to. But, again, it makes it that much harder for for us to get a good read on him. But, but Tennessee should feel good as long as uh, his fiancé is enrolled there. Two comments and a question before I let you go. And please don't respond to either of these comments. They're just made uh, kind of in jest. But if a 17-year-old kid tells me he's engaged, I immediately think, hashtag, who that baby daddy? And number two, uh, <laughs> without going into further detail, John, uh, Drew and I have it on very, very good authority that the Calvin Ridley situation will not change. Now, here's the question. Tomorrow night I'm going to see not only Deron Payne but also Keith Mixon. Uh, Keith Mixon's contact with the Alabama staff seems to have increased dramatically, even to the point that there's a rumor that if he has a third straight solid performance, and let's be, let's be straight, he's got seven touchdowns in two games, including the game winner of the first week. If mm-hmm. there is another great performance given tomorrow night by Keith Mixon, could he be getting a, a very important phone call from the Alabama staff? I mean, look, it's, it's no secret that Alabama has been flirting with this kid for a good calendar year. You know, he, he did this last year as well, so maybe they wanted to see him perform more um, with a little bit more bulk. You know, he bulked up probably 8 to 10 pounds this last season. Really is almost filled out as he can be at, at a good 5'8". Um, there's several factors here. One, uh, Deron Payne. Let's let's be honest. Deron Payne is going to be a major factor with Keith Mixon. The two want to play together. The two have been friends for a very long time. Um, so if you get Keith Mixon on board, Deron Payne is that much more inclined to join you. Now, Mississippi State has played that all the way up to having the Bulldogs in his top three, but we all know it's going to be very hard for him to turn down both in-state SEC schools with him being an Auburn fan and him uh, admitting that Alabama has been recruiting him the best over the last calendar year or so. So that's the number one thing with Mason. Number two, when you're evaluating a guy into his senior season, the magic rule is always three. You want to see three games truly determine how he does against certain competition, how he plays in certain situations. And obviously through the first two games, every checkbox has been checked because he, like you said, uh, he, he had a game winner week one, which we have video of, uh, and just having about 200 total yards. He ended up with like 300 total yards in week two against the always athletic Bethlehem City uh, team. 
Uh, so what he does tomorrow against Center Point, and you'll be there, you know, as long as, I mean, God forbid he doesn't get injured or anything, but as long as he continues to flash the ability to run precise routes, affect the return game, and occasionally run the ball well, I think Saturday could be a very, or it could come, like you said, it could come between Thursday night and Saturday before he and Deron Payne visit Tuscaloosa, which is the plan right now. So it could be a situation where they just wait to get him on campus since he's already going, and then they talk to him there. Or they could pull the trigger immediately if they feel it. he was so good that they just need to do it at that moment. So three games is always sort of the evaluation period for a kid in their senior season. So it would make a lot of sense if Alabama – did it with Mixon in these next couple of days as long as he performs as, as really he has over the last two years. Even against Hooper, who, who, stomped, who stoned everybody last season, it was Mixon who sort of gave Shade Valley life with a kick return for a touchdown. So this guy has done it against every competition. He's done it well at every camp. He's clocked 4-4 at every camp he's been to this summer. He's really put in the work movement, and he's done all of that with 8 to 10 pounds more size. So if Alabama sat him down a year ago and said, you need to bulk up, you need to run a little faster, and you need to still show the same production, he's done all of those things. So I think if it's going to happen, it's going to happen this week because they've seen pretty much everything they can see from this guy. Of course, he's 5'8", a buck 75, and that's not going to change anytime soon. But in today's age, you know, look at Christian Jones. He's not a whole lot bigger than that. He's made a big impact over the last couple of seasons as a returner and as a slot guy. So I think if Mixon can prove he can be that wide receiver first guy, even though he's a very talented and gifted running back, I think the offer could be his. And that could honestly be the difference between Alabama's class being a, a highly ranked class and the number one class because it, it could secure a guy like Deron Payne much earlier than expected. Right now he's thinking December, January decision. So if, if that helps secure Payne, obviously you, you would slip Mixon from his current commitment to Mississippi State. It could it could even get the ball rolling for some other guys who were sort of on the fence. Um, because when you get a five-star like Payne and the number one guy in the state of Alabama, it really does make waves. You know, ask, ask for Sean Evans and Marlon Humphrey and these guys. When, when one committed, the other ones are kind of like, okay, let's, let's, let's get this ball rolling. So um, it could really have a monster impact, you know, in the next 48 hours with what Alabama does with Keith Mixon. And they know that, so... I would expect some big news in the next couple of days with Nixon because, like I said, if it's going to happen, it should happen between now and Saturday. Well, John, I'll just make one comment, and I totally agree with everything you just said. I got three names. My all-time favorite player, David Palmer, Marquise Mays, and Tyrone Prothro, and that's all I got to say. I was actually going to name two of those. Uh, Palmer ran a 4-6, but I was going to name two of those guys too because I, I agree with those comparisons. Al Batman, Nick Saban, though, is, is the guy that has to make the call, and he has won two national championships with, with Marquise Mays, a very similar player. John, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for great giving stuff, us brother. the uh, – Yes, great stuff. Thank you for giving us the information that helped us get affiliated with uh, Bama Sports Radio. As your very well-done podcast, Crimson and Blue Chips, is affiliated now. We're all three. We're all part of the big Bama Sports Radio family. Thank you for that. Yes, sir. And we will have Same you again – um, very soon, uh, but we're, we're about to have to close it out. But, John, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Thank Good to have you. John Garcia, uh, recruiting analyst for BamaMag.com and Scout.com. A man on the move, as Kirk says, when does this guy sleep? Well, he's always great when he comes on BAMs, and we're going to keep bringing him on at least, uh, at least once a month, if not more. 
But uh, we are now uh, two hours and about eight minutes into our show, so we're going to wrap it up. Uh, for Kirk McNair and John Garcia, uh, for Drew DeArmond of Alabama Intel, for Thomas Watts of Touchdown Alabama, I am Kerry Clark with BamaMag.com, signing off yet another edition of BAMS Radio on Blog Talk Radio. Roll Tide, everybody. Roll Tide.